All right. Before we begin, uh, I we owe an apology to the people of West Virginia. Sparky, I got your DMs. Uh, yeah, we, we made we made a shitty joke about West Virginia dental records. Uh, that, I don't that, remember doing this. Well, Ross I don't remember made it. doing this either. <laughs> oh, okay, Ross fine. made it. So you know, I I apologize for that. Ross apologizes for that, even though he doesn't fucking remember it. Yeah, I don't remember the doing doing that. I, I know you don't, buddy. That's because you drink too much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, now that we said- I was nowhere near yeah. the scene. I was not in West Virginia at that time. I was <laughs> the greatest state we have, man. Uh, Justin, you know the the slide is only showing like two thirds of it on Zencaster. Is it recording right? Oh fuck! God <laughs> damn it, dude! I only no, thought keep to it. look now. Keep it. Keep it. There we go. That looks nice. Yeah. So, so wow. what you see on the screen before you is... We have to do introductions first. And we oh, have to talk it. about how good open back headphones are. Yeah. You yeah. guys like tasty, <laughs> tasty, airy mids. Yes. Yeah. Can I air my grievances against Bose now before you I sure talk to can. that customer service? All right. <laughs> Just, all right. Introductions first, then headphones. Yes. <laughs> Um, hello, and welcome to Well, There's Your Problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. I am Alice Gordor Kelly. I'm the person who's talking now. My pronouns are she and her. Yay, Liam. Yay, Liam. Hi, my name is Liam Anderson. My pronouns are also he and him. We have a guest we from podcasting guest. as Praxis. Yes. Hello, guest. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rob. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm the person you are hearing now. Hell yeah. Also, fuck you, Bose. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. It yeah, sounds okay, so for the thing is, sound the, equipment. Well, the reason why we're talking about headphones is because I have been spending about 10 minutes yelling at these two, uh, my colleagues, for the fact that we have been running this podcast for what feels like 15 years at this point, and neither of them has a pair of closed back headphones, which means I can always hear myself in the background and we have to edit it out, or Devin has to edit it out. So please, God, guys, just like what's up, Alice? Buy buy closed back headphones. They don't even have to be expensive. Oh, they're gonna be expensive. <laughs> they, make, they make my ears pop. It's annoying. I like I like my airy mids. It's gonna make your ears pop in a minute. <laughs> What you see on the screen before you is What's wrong with my airy mids? A large amount of uh, limestone and answer the uh, question. Like, uh, fucking various other geological oddities, ice and snow, uh, yes. and the three words "big deadly rock," um, which well, it used to just say "big deadly," which I actually think is objectively funnier. Yeah, the McDonald's "big deadly." It actually used to say "big deadly rock land," but the land fell over. <laughs> yeah, um, part of like a sort of like a house building experiment, not very widely taken up. Those apartments. Yeah. yeah so today we're going to talk about Mount Everest or Chomolungma, if you prefer, um, and why it's not necessary. Well, all the ways it can kill you, and of which there are many. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. so many. It's another biome one. After after the caves, we're now like the tallest mountain in the world. Don't go in the ah, caves. Man, don't go on the mountain. The caves. Man. Don't talk about the caves. It freaks me yeah. out just talking about the, I, the caves. caves. The caves freak me out. Yeah. As you said, it's Chumalumma. Chumalumma is the like uh, oh, God. <laughs> name for it. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, it means it like holy mother. Um, it's yeah. a motive motivation to get you up to the top. If you get knocked down, 
you can get up again. Yeah. <laughs> takes a whiskey drink. He takes a lager yeah. drink. Yeah. Hopefully he does not do that when he's mountain yeah. climbing. <laughs> All right. So before we talk about Mount Everest, we have to do the goddamn news. Ah, oh, this fucking guy. Our our big boy Fetterman has been going hard in on uh um, excusing uh, Israeli war crimes. Um, that seems to be like his main thing right now. It's very frustrating because now all the funny parts about him aren't funny anymore. No, yeah, it it's sad to see a guy with a hoodie on just do war crimes. You know, yeah. hoodies no, normally, no longer I do okay. Quite a few war crimes, but I am a private citizen, so I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, he, the thing is, he's breaking the dress code for doing war crimes and endorsing war crimes, which is, mm -hmm. you know, that is progress. Uh, even if the kind of progress we would like to see is fewer, ideally no war crimes. Right, we would um, like to see no war crimes. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I think the the top level headline with with Fetterman is that you have to stop uh, doing strong male friendships and you have to stop checking in on on your friends because I need this man's mental health to be worse urgently. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, yeah, I, I, I gotta wonder, I mean, so, you know, no one seems to have come out in favor of a ceasefire in the Senate, um, Dick except Durbin. Dick Durbin did, yeah. yeah. Dick Durbin. Uh, yeah, I'm just Bernie wondering, Sanders as well just, like, scummed his way out of that one. Yes, what kind of, what kind of sort of Damocles do they have hovering over these guys that prevents any of them from having, that it forces them all to be in lockstep with the same shitty foreign policy. That fucking sucks. I mean, sometimes it's just that they just like it. Like, I, I, the one guy no I won't get over is, is Brian Mast, the guy who uh, got his, like, legs and dick and balls blown off in, I think, Afghanistan, and then uh, went to Israel on, like, a volunteer basis to go and, like, stack blankets yeah, yeah, for the yeah. IDF for a couple of weeks. And what? War, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like a volunteer Christ. program that they, yeah. they they have that you can go and like they, they right, tease it worse. with like yeah with like hot IDF girls. You can go and like work on base for a couple of weeks, lifting lifting boxes. Um, and he wore his IDF uniform, if you can call sure it that, did. from that experience uh, in Congress. To, oh, which I it, saw that. That was yeah. uh, he yeah, was a was Florida weird. guy, right? Am I am I right in saying that? I think so. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So he's. <sighs> He's been doing that, and it just—it all feels like a new low. And once again, I, I continue to feel like my brain is melting out of my ears. Oh yeah, yeah. Just it's don't so, do that anywhere near the cenotaph, uh, Alice, because that's a, a sad place for <laughs> memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Br Britain's been insane in its own way, of course. And today, uh, day of recording, this culminated with the idea that like uh, Hamas-affiliated peace activists were going to do some kind of like terrorist peace demonstration what? on yeah. Armistice Day. Which you know, obviously, you can't use Armistice Day to protest for peace because that would be antithetical to the whole point of it, which is that war is good. Um, yeah, uh, World War One was cool, and it's fun that they're going to do it again in Gaza. Yeah, it's it's it's, um, it's <laughs> interesting the stuff that like we've just kind of like slipped back into the history books. Like World War One is good is just like accepted now in Britain widely. Um, you know, fucking what black out of goes forth was the high watermark of of the opposite every, of that. Yeah. <laughs> every time I read literature about the period, it's just like it's just like a famous five novel. There's just some hijinks, and then they gather for tea and all as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so World War One was good, and now Germany is like uh, oh, being German, returning yeah, to its yeah. original roots. Yeah, yes. When you see the Chancellor of Germany on a cover of a magazine saying we need mass deportations. Uh, because of you know an enemy within, I don't 
think that that's good. We've, yeah, that's seen, I've actually seen this bad. movie before, and I recall it not going so well. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the thing is, the Germans learned their lesson, which is don't do it to the Jews again, right? Nothing yeah. beyond Thanks, that. Thanks, boys! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's some kind of mad shit that, that, that he was proposing that, like, all uh, Muslims in Germany have to, like, take a loyalty oath or, like, pinky promise what? to yeah, be it's... good or something. It's insane. It's just mad. Yeah, loyalty oath to Israel. And, like, uh, th this is the maddening Fucking what? thing. what? No, bring that back. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, this is the, the, like, really maddening thing, right, is I remember all of, like, a few months ago when this idea that, like, you had like dual loyalty to to your own country and to Israel was only an anti-Semitic slur, and now it's both an anti-Semitic slur and something we are earnestly demanding of people. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I yeah, I, I don't know, man. It just it's it's all yeah. so Half like fucking dire. Yeah, yeah. I you know I I hope this guy. I really do. All this <laughs> uh, like <laughs> just this. I swear to God, it's like genuinely such an embarrassment that he was ever elected in the first place. And there's like, well, did you see the other guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah to yeah, be fair, yeah, we, we voted against a Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, depends. I mean, depends whether Doctor Oz would have endorsed Erdogan's sort of condemnation of Israel. You know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Putting him in a real like geopolitical yeah. bind there. Yeah, exactly. All, all I'm mean... saying is I'm calling on our like Cuban allies to sort of speed up research on the Havana ray gun and just like get a yeah, bigger you guys better gotta version. Move that shit along. Get a get a point it right at uh, the Senate. Uh, use the foreign policy change ray gun. Um, you know, and it forces all of them to uh, can, uh, to, to 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 vote for ceasefire and then. Um, uh, end the embargo. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll probably or, do a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Or no, possibly we'll just placed. that scene from Scanners, and I'm good with that too. We'll just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll also take that. Hey, you guys, can I borrow four thousand dollars real quick? Uh, are you looking at the Metzes? No. You're, you're looking at the fucking headphones made out of like you know Stradivarius wood. Yeah, aren't you? yeah, yeah. On a yeah. tadium and myrrh. <laughs> this is, this is gonna. You gotta get one of those high fidelity XLR cables made out of gold too. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's the the XLR cable I'm rocking that I think is from Amazon that says professional low noise. Oh boy, microphone cable. It's wrapped around my microphone because this I is, do cable uh, management. Good. This is this is gonna <laughs> oh, relate yeah. to. Hey, remember next. how you mounted your hard drives? Remember how you mounted your hard drives? Remember that? You yeah, remember, I remember. You remember that. what an impact that had on the sound quality of the episodes? A big one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is all going to relate strongly, I feel, to our baffling next news. <laughs> In other news, yeah, we did it. <sighs> Thank you. A hearty congratulations from people who will never ever achieve such a thing, and my dad will always be sad at me. Wow, my levels are blown out when I do that. Thank you to a hundred thousand of you. For you stupid fucks! Smashing that <laughs> like, share, and subscribe button. Yeah, uh, we are going to get some plaques off of this, and I'm very excited. Um, yeah, we obviously, have, we have a YouTube plaque. Yeah, um, the next step is world conquest. So uh, the next, the next milestone is like one million. So if yeah. all of you make nine people off the street subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> yes. Every just single one of you, this is your task. Just walk up to random people on the street and just start talking about this podcast. Yeah. It, will, it will only end well. Yes. 
you will not be incarcerated. We hope this is this is sort of like I, I think in order to get there, the only way we're getting to to a million is sort of cultic practices. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm in favor of this. You know, go yes. out and convert people. Yeah, yeah. Can you I can I ask it. you like get a, it before uh, Alan uh, Fisher does? <laughs> can I ask a sort of a practical plaque question? Hmm. Do do you guys get one each, or is it like one, and is it like a Highlander scenario where it's like you know you, you have to it's order some headings and then. This is bullshit. They issue you one, and then if you want any more, you have to email the company that makes them and be like, "I swear to God, this is real. I have, uh, you know, a hundred thousand YouTube <laughs> subscribers. Can I buy X more of you?" And obviously, we need you know, like one for me, one for Liam, one for Justin, one for the Activate Windows logo, and one for Devon. So, yeah. like, that's that's a big expense, you know. That's great though. I so, hope yeah, that's tax success. deductible. That like you can walk up to the Sorry, tax office and success. say, "I'm paying less because Luke shiny plaque." I think that's really good. <laughs> I want one of the ones that they have to make up for like uh, YouTubers back when YouTubers were still a thing, uh, who did like crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, you know, th we had to invent this like you know golden ruby plaque, specially for PewDiePie after he like you know looked at a dead Japanese guy and went, cool, check it out, like and subscribe, and like 25 trillion people did. You know? Oh yeah, was, when he was, got the uh, when he got the uh, oak oak leaves and crosses underneath his uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> the most cancelable system of like YouTube promotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a different guy who who was uh, looked at the dead body. Yeah, wasn't that I, Logan Paul? Oh yeah, yeah they're not, they're not the same Paul, yeah. guy. I, yeah, they, they are basically all the same guy. Logan Paul, there we go. Yeah. I, I just searched suicide. Every, every day Paul. of my life, I find out that there's a guy called the Dirch official who has two <laughs> trillion subscribers. I have never heard of him, and like kids in secondary schools are worshiping him like a god. Yes. Yeah, and I want that for myself. Not the worship, but I do want the plaque. Yeah, uh, I don't I think know. You can I don't have know about. Both. I think yeah. you should commit I want to the both. Ten million dollar. I want the ten million subscriber plaque. That would. I don't want to be worshipped by teenagers. <laughs> I <laughs> no, also wouldn't like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, I I have one more announcement, which is that I uh, I I will save it. Never mind. It doesn't. Okay. Matter. Cool. Great. Fantastic. We're so good at this. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> no, this that's is a the teaser. Thing, so sometimes people are like, you know, uh, uh, you know. I, I'll, I'll tell the story. I got recognized at a funeral from this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Emily, if you're listening, thanks for that. Um, yeah, Incredible. I, I was at Corinne's uncle's funeral with like a billion fucking people, and it was my birthday, and Corinne's cousin said, happy birthday, Liam, and this person was just like, are you Liam from Well, There's Your Problem? And my brain fucking turned off. Nothing is beyond <laughs> our reach. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is like, a lot of channels do like rewards, or like, you know, they trail something and kind of like, in recompense for, you know, your sacrifice and subscribing and having to get like, our bullshit notifications. Uh, are we going to do anything special for 100,000 subscribers? And the answer is, no. Absolutely no. not. Uh, uh, oh, I've already released the nerve gas, actually. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. It was the yeah. nerve gas. It was yeah. the nerve gas. But, you start but, giving people things, and they just start expecting more from exactly. you, and that way madness lies. We, we like to maintain a hierarchical relationship here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, an, an, an earnest thank you to the fans at yeah, this time. thanks. Also, eat shit. <laughs> Yeah, please don't unsubscribe. Yeah. Please don't unsubscribe. <laughs> Continue subscribing. We love we you. To, also, we, we to, hate you. Yeah, we yeah. have to ensure this is a professional relationship. Uh, That's right. Don't don't get parasocial. Uh, we hate weird. you. 
we think you're scum, but please subscribe. Also, can you can you please sign my morning card while we're here? Because I just I just want your signature on something professional. Oh, the people who are like, hey, will you sign my my Philadelphia teacher ID? Uh, that's really that was, sweet. That's that was sweet. Yeah, we, I, we signed what, what like an emergency services ID one time. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. we still all signed anything. Yeah, That's it's it, it's all sign anything, and we'll also sponsor any dumb thing Extremely you can come up with. Extremely easy man to defraud. Anything I was about you put in to front say, of him, yeah. he will sign. It's not fraud. It's, we had a race contract. <laughs> yeah, we have a race team. We do. Of. We do. Those guys rule. Um. Anyway, that was the goddamn news. All right, I immediately pivot into insulting the fans. We just uh, did that. I'm gonna do it some more. more. <laughs> so, All right, so, so, get your ninety thousand subscriber plaque. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, so some of you are looking at Mount Everest and you're going, "How is that an engineering disaster?" Right? Like, Shut up. It, it's yeah. That's my answer. Shut up. I hear you crying <laughs> about this in the comments because you're a baby. This is a picture of you about to post your little comment. About how is this an engineering disaster? You're taking these, my shtick. These guys are like running out of ideas. They're running out of engineering. Well, I'm disasters. writing Katrina right yeah. now. And now, yeah. and now they're just doing whatever they feel like. Well, next yeah, slide, please. Doing that my, the whole time. My answer. Yes. My answer. <laughs> my answer comes in two parts. This is part one. Uh, and the first part of the answer is: You think this shit is easy? You want to get up here and try and do my job? Yeah, that's what I thought. Why aren't you doing Air Borat Flight 343? Fuck you. Alright, I'm sorry the fucking Tupolev flew into the tractor. I'm sorry it was carrying all of your dictator's single malt. You know, we'll get yep. to it, right? Like, and that's, that's like only one half of the comments we get. The other half of the comments we get are, why aren't you doing United American, US American Flight 345? And it's like, I don't... Yeah, we'll get to that too. I'm sorry the pilot who hadn't slept in 72 hours like flew a shitload of McKinsey people who are going off-site to fire people in person into another kind of tractor because the magic oh tube that tells the computer not to crash the plane got ice in it. We'll get to it. You yes. stole my whole shtick. <laughs> I am redundant now. <laughs> Listen, I, I was charging the Leo. pilot like a plaque too, though, because like, that's it pretty does, heroic it does, right it does, there. It does, you know, on a, on a philosophical level, shut the fuck up. But on a more practical level, <laughs> I'm just imagining all the the lights going I just, off. I, you know, it's it's a disaster show. There's also like we. I, do you know how hard some of these are to fucking write? Because a Roz is a big baby. And it's like, oh, we need an expert. Like, yeah, yeah, probably, but also shut the fuck up. B, I have been writing Katrina for a trillion years because if I fuck it up, we're going to get screamed at. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and Spencer Hall is going to come north and beat me to death with his own shoes. <laughs> Just Gotta imagining. get Katrina right. Broad, speaking of also, what talk like, about in, Katrina. In defense, of your, uh, your, in defense of your engineering podcast, I will say that at least part of this is 100% about engineering, and if it isn't, you can go tell Vale of Sherpas that it isn't, and you know they'll beat you to death as they should with their own snowshoes. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there with crampons. Imagining the Air Borat flight right before it crashes, all the Bye alarms Roy! are going off, uh, <laughs> right into a mountainside. My wife. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said Air Borat. I'm going to have to apologize to Central Asia now. Um, <laughs> Look, aviation disasters specifically, sometimes it's hard to find a compelling narrative for them. You know, I'm not an I'm not an aviation girl. I'm not like fucking mentor pilot or whatever, you know? And it's 
they're all named like air something flight number and it's like air, oh. right air rectum flight 455 exactly exactly so and yeah. they, they can't all be japan airlines flight filling with liquid shit you know as, as pilots this is exactly the situation we're trained to avoid like <laughs> <laughs> filling with shit yeah yeah so 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 my second half of the answer is the entire rest of the podcast next slide please um, Rob and I sort of like wrote this half and half between ourselves, uh, and all, all of you are hostages. Um, so I, yeah, if you're wondering what I'm doing here, by the way, I'm an entirely amateur mountaineer, and I haven't done any of this shit. So you know, more than I like us, it. I think it's interesting. More than any of us. Uh, so uh, I'm a very accomplished mountaineer when I when I search Google Maps over a period oh, yeah. of like uh, tens of millions of years. Uh, India, which used to be like detached, smacked into the Eurasian plate, traveling northward. Um, and then there was a plane in between China and India. You can see here China's the bit on the right, <coughs> India's the bit on the left. Um, <coughs> used to be a plane in between them, India's going north, the Eurasian plate's going south. Uh, these two plates smacked into each other and formed the Himalayas, it's a mountain ridge. Uh, these are the tallest mountains in the world, they're beautiful, and they're, they're actually they like... Are, they are incredible. They are just magnificent things. They are some of the most breathtaking spectacles on this planet. Uh, it's, yeah, amazing. And Real the, quick, the Ross, like, can you do me a solid? What? Take your goddamn allergy meds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so these are these are baby mountains too. Like they're only fifty million years old. Which they is used like to be nothing. shorter than the than the than the Appalachians. But this yeah. is the thing: the Appalachians yeah. are like five hundred million years old. They're yeah, they're older, than, old. they're older than the Atlantic Ocean, as is the Susquehanna River. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like the yeah. Himalayas, are, the Himalayas are like it means home of snow, by the way, which I think is cool. Well, that's um, that's poetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. There's a lot of it. It's a lot of snow. Um, they're so not as young. much snow as they used to be, which is kind of terrifying. It's but that's not worrying. Shut up! Day. Hey, shut up! We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But they're so young geologically that like there are still there are birds that evolved to fly over them rather than change what? their migration routes. Um, yeah. Demoiselle cranes, they're beautiful. Um, uh, there's uh, like some, some like bar-necked like uh, cranes as well that fly over them. Uh, just fly and, and over. They can just fly stuff. thirty. That's I mean that's commercial airliner height. Yeah, oh, yeah I was about absolutely. to say you're gonna get a gonna get a hell of a surprise when that bird strike happens. Uh, <laughs> just it's like inhaling a bunch of like cranes into the engine of your yeah. of your seven four seven or whatever. Yeah. Um, if we go to the the next slide, we can get a good luck. Good luck finding an airfield. <laughs> it's, a, it's a political map which is um, in a kind of like Akhan Bharat is like labeled in the top right India geographical map not all of this is India I just got this off of an Indian map um, ah, there's more, some weird nationalism a, going on yeah, more, yeah. yeah. more, my, more my than a few to Hindutva. more than a few disputed <laughs> borders here uh, yeah. hey guys what if what we did was we, we went to the highest shittiest place in the world and just fought over it endlessly some some <laughs> Sick fighting up here, like you know, guys with like pickaxe handles kicking each other off the edge of glaciers. Um, yes, but but yeah, so the Himalayas uh, comprise, uh, you know, there's there's a tiny bit in uh, in India, there's Bhutan, and then most of it's Nepal and Tibet, which is you know part of China under protest, um, and. Pre-European settlement, uh, uh, Tibet was like a, a you know administered by various Chinese empires, had its own empire for a bit, ended up a Buddhist theocracy after the Boxer Revolution, uh, and stayed that way until China invaded in the fifties. Um, and then Nepal uh, is 
it was a monarchy until 2006, uh, pretty old monarchy, and then one of the kids went gamer mode with an AR-15, um, yep. and just kind of like took out a bunch of their own royal family, As which one does. Well, unexpected political development to say the least. Yeah. That's um, a that's sort of a that's a reverse um, uh, Bud Dwyer right there. Yeah, also a lot, <laughs> a lot of the politics in in Nepal, which was a constitutional monarchy, is now just a, a democracy, is now just a republic. Uh, is is various flavors of Maoists, which is wild because you get moderate Maoists, and which is kind of yeah. what it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you, you have like a Maoist administration that is like very very keen to keep tourism up. Uh, well, this will be a problem later. Um, yes. Feed and, them into the mountain that craves blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unlike in in the Americas, that isn't like a documented history of pre-European mountaineering, as far as I can tell. Um, it's more that you know you you work around the mountains, you you know live and work in the valleys and stuff. And the mountains are like mostly considered sacred to like yeah. you know one yeah. deity or another. And also, like the, some some of the valleys that these people have been living in since like forever basically are higher than any mountain range in like the continental united states basically so like their mode of being is just like what you would consider maybe the adventure of your lifetime to get to mm, yeah lots of like carrying very heavy loads over like very dangerous mountain passes and like very fast rivers as well because they're you know uh glacier runoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very very steep um uh, yes Ross, so this is isn't this steep. isn't this isn't like uh well very steep in terms of rivers you know it's like it makes it go faster yeah, yeah. It's also like a notoriously like poor country. Like mm. it's one of the poorest in, in in the world, I think. And like, yeah, the 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 rare currents in also because it just like it doesn't have that much. Like it, it it has mountains and some water, and that you know that kind of them's the breaks. There's not you know they don't they don't have like a big port or like they don't sit on an important trade route or anything. They have like these passes and not much else going on. Yeah, a little bit of yeah. like subsistence agriculture and stuff. Uh, if we, uh, it's interesting the... that they uh, they consider it sacred, uh, the mountain sacred, as opposed to like the uh, traditional European way of thinking about mountains up until like sort of the romantic period, which is sort of um, these mountains are a goddamn nuisance, and we wish we could be rid of them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> will, will, no one, will no one metal me uh, rid, uh, rid me of this meddlesome mountain? It's just yeah. a guy with a jackhammer and <laughs> some dynamite. <laughs> yeah, Petrock inventing mountaineering, and then this you know sort of product of modernity of like mountaineering for pleasure. Uh, if if we want to put a marker in, I'm sort of eyeballing this, but if, if you see the little bump top left of the K in Kanchenjunga, which is the third highest mountain in the world. That's where Everest is. Um, it's on the border between Nepal and Tibet. Uh, it's, it's like the border runs through the summit, oh. I believe. So like half it of does. it's in, yeah. in, yeah. in, yeah. in Tibet yeah. and half of it's in Nepal. Uh, next slide, please. All right, we also got to talk about these guys. Uh, these yeah. are Sherpa people. Um, oh, the drip. Yeah, I was about to say, they look yeah. real good. They are, yeah, massively cool. Just, I've, yeah, look at every, that. Every photo I've seen of Sherpa men they've like at least one guy has been wearing a cowboy hat that's an, like something they have very very keenly adopted from the west uh and it looks cool as hell you know you have to salute a pro cowboy hat culture yes um and this is this is like an ethnic group it's like 100,000 people uh maybe more um and generally in the west like sherpa means uh, you know we we tend to treat it as nepalese for guy who hauls my stupid ass up the mountain yes um, and and 
has a de- has the decency not to leave me there, even though he probably should. Exactly, uh, yeah. because because we are like racist pigs, and we have this like way of of typifying uh, societies. You know, like it was a thing where you know, uh, in particularly in the British Empire, where we were like, okay, well, this is this is like a warrior tribe, and this is like you know whatever. Um, in order to pick who who got to do what in like imperial administration and stuff, and the Sherpa kind of got like pigeonholed into being like. Smiling, helpful, climbing people, um, which sure, but you know, it's it's an ethnic group. There's more going on than that, um, and you know, they they live and work in these valleys, which you know has adapted them in a lot of ways, including genetically to be like very good at climbing and living at high altitudes. Um, and later on, as we'll see, this becomes a way for them to like gain employment through yeah. hauling people up mountains. If they use their superhuman abilities to compensate for weak pale european bodies uh, yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah. i'm sedentary <laughs> yeah i mean like um uh pretty much any major european expedition of you know like the sort of uh you know first half of the 20th century uh, even into like the 60s and maybe even 70s would have not only like sherpa guides but like a huge number of porters who would like carry all of their shit um, yeah, still a thing. But Do it yourself, you fucking still pussies. a big thing. Like a, a lot of like, if you, you even if you don't do like the the full on mountaineering stuff, like we're going to be talking about, like a lot of people just go to Nepal to like do. It's a very famous sort of tourist walk to go mm. to Everest Base Camp and back. And then most people already have porters, and especially if you do like longer stuff, you really don't need to do any kind of summit to like employ Sherpas and porters and, and all that stuff. And also there's certainly if you're mountaineering, it's also a legal requirement that you have uh, Sherpas with you. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you must by law have guides and, and Sherpas and porters, uh, local people sense. with you. You got to keep, yeah. uh, keep the economy stimulated. Right. Apart from anything else. Yeah. Right. Do they have like a, do they have like a Sherpa union? This, we'll get to that. That's, oh. that's an important point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so for now, I'll confine myself to saying that the early mountaineering stuff, uh, I, I enjoyed reading Annapurna, which is the, the French first attempt to summit that mountain. Uh, these guys are like universally treated terribly, especially the porters. Um, and are kind of it's taken for granted that they will remain cheerful in all circumstances, up to and including like falling off a mountain to their deaths. Oof. Um, cool. Yeah, they usually don't like rate a mention. Like, uh, yeah, so some of the stuff with Annapurna is just like you know diary entries where it's like, yeah, another one of the guys like fell into a river and drowned today. Uh, it's like, okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's it's they are. I mean, it's changing now in the last decade, I would say. But any time before that, it was just like we got up the mountain, and by we we mean a bunch of white people. And don't you ask any questions about anything right, else? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, next slide, please. Um, all right, so this is about the the colonization of India. Uh, um, do, do not colonize India, first of all. Uh, easy mistake to make, but don't try your best to avoid it. Um, but that's that's something that we did. Um, and having done so, uh, we, Britain, then got involved in this like so-called great game uh, with Russia, where we were like, any day now the Russians are going to like sweep down into Central Asia, and they're going to try and take India off of us, uh, which has made us very wealthy, and we don't want them to do that, therefore we're going to have to do a bunch of intrigue. Um, yeah, some really interesting intrigue. Like we, uh, uh, the word pundit for like someone, uh, you know, like a like a commentator makes its way into English. Uh, it means school teacher originally. Um, that sounds like a great um, alternate history where India becomes part of the Soviet Union. 
Oh, I mean, a, it had it had moments where it was sort of like potentially in the bounce. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we had uh, these guys, pundits, who were sort of like uh, locally recruited spies who were sent into into Nepal because Nepal and Tibet were closed to foreigners uh, at this time uh, and, until like 1904, <coughs> I want to say, when we negotiated a treaty with them. Um, and yeah, because what we wanted to do was to survey India. Um, this is very useful, like militarily, scientifically, all of this. Um, we did like a lot of like geological survey. Um, and we wanted to survey Nepal and Tibet as well, and because they wouldn't let us in, we just like recruited some local spies and with gadgets, even like fucking specially adapted prayer beads to use for like measuring distances and stuff, um, like undercoverers as monks and holy men. Um, it's it's a wild bit of history, um, but yeah, mostly what we tried to do was to to survey uh, Tibet and Nepal by distance. Uh, you use like a telescope, whatever. You look at the mountains, which you can see because they're very tall, and you go, "How tall do you think that is?" and try and measure it with maths. Um, a lot of guys got malaria doing this, by the way. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty miserable conditions. Um, yeah, that's just part of the job back when surveying was, um, you know, a very manual effort. Oh you yeah, know, you're gonna you know wind up in pretty strange places and get weird diseases. Oh yeah. Uh, fun fact: the first star on the CIA's wall of dead CIA guys. As uh, an Ivy League guy who tried to like hike over the border into Tibet and got airholed oh. by some Chinese border guards. Oh boy! <laughs> um, well, so, so like from from you know the the 1800s to the 1950s, very very difficult to to sort of like uh, get into uh, at times. But yeah, so the yeah. highest the highest of these peaks, very obvious. Peak it's 15. Tall. Peak 15. Um, yeah. And and this guy wore at the at the geological survey. Uh, went, how can I sort of curry favor here? He's like, well, I'll name it after my boss. Um, and incredible. This is... Fucking incredible. Like, yeah. just That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you is... have 100,000 subscribers now. You should get like many things, geographical things that are named after you. Mount, That's well, true. there's your problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Just a never ending avalanche. <laughs> so, so, to say. They, never, they, never gave, they never gave K2 a proper name. Yeah, this is an interesting thing because K two people have have tried about the same time that like you know um, the the government of of Nepal like really started pushing for like Chomolongmo Satyagraha for for Everest. People like went back and thought, well, how can we like decolonize K two? You know, why is it called that? And legitimately, it's like in the back of Beyond so much that no one has bothered to name it in a way that anyone's recorded um, <laughs> before just K two. Um, yeah, but peak fifteen, uh, Chomolongma was was named after this guy on the left, George Everest, um, who was the head of the Geological Survey of India. Um, pronounced his name Everest, and uh, one of the reasons why he didn't like the idea of calling it Mount Everest is because nobody can fucking pronounce my name, and <laughs> they're gonna get it wrong. Sucks. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, he was he was touching the lathe of heaven at that moment because it's Mount Everest now, irrespective of how this dead guy pronounced his name, which was Everest. Also, I think that it's still befitting that we call it Mount Everest, you know, and get this colonialist pig pig's name hundreds of years after. Like he could go suck it forever and into eternity. That's good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Um if we if we go to the next slide, uh so uh, we negotiated access to uh, to Nepal in 1904, and immediately, pretty much, having begun this, you know, uh, thing of uh, like 
mountaineering and and mountaineering for pleasure in Europe and hiked, you know, yeah. and climbed a lot of the Alps. Uh, you had like this this phenomenon of alpinism and alpinists. Yeah, um, this sort of starts going around like it, I mean, it has a long history, but around like the age of when uh, um, like English public schoolboys started going on the Grand Tour and they'd come to. Mm. Switzerland and the Rhone Valley, and they'd see all these incredible mountains, and some of them would like go up there, including I've forgotten her name, but one incredibly cool woman who did uh, Mont Blanc in like a full on like Victorian hoop skirt, which is wow. just like incredibly boss. Uh, yeah, which is just very very cool. But that's where it all comes from. And then around that time, they also start because it's also a nationalist thing. They start climbing up all these big peaks because if you're I don't know the Englishman on the biggest peak, that means you're better than you know the German Empire or the French Empire, and, and so on and so forth. So mm. it has like public schoolboy mixed in with weird Victorian uh, you know nationalism. It's all baked sort of into that cake. It's also interesting, Link, uh, because the the kingdom then of Nepal uh, was able to sort of like play all of these powers off against each other by issuing like generally like one license for an expedition per year that would rotate nationality. Um, so you know, if if the British don't do you know X mountain in 1924, then the Swiss get to try it in 25, you know, and the French in 26 or whatever, um, and. You have these series of British expeditions into Nepal, um, which survey a lot of routes because you have to hike to these places in the first place. Um, you have to like map out these mountains. You have to like break trails to to get there, uh, and and then that's before you're even like at the base of it, looking at it, trying to find a way up it. Um, but pretty quickly, like Everest is you know sort of like uh, gone for. Um, and we, we have a bunch of like reconnaissance expeditions. Mostly, I'm going to talk about this guy on the left. This is uh, George Mallory, who looks like yeah. a gayer George Russell. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's genuinely striking, the resemblance. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's all chin, you know? They, they give you one of those chins in, uh, in, in public school, I feel, yes. sometimes. Um, and yeah, uh, he, was, he was a World War I veteran, like gifted mountaineer teacher at one point. Sort of charter yeah. house, actually. Um, and. Ultimately, he uh, was part of an expedition in 24 that, that tried to summit, and he and his partner just disappeared. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of the great enduring sort of minor mysteries, whether or not they made the actual summit. No, but, I mean, obviously, nobody knows because they didn't live to tell the tale. They vanished up in the cloud and, you know, were... I'm not going to say never seen again, um, but you know, not, not, nobody knows what happened. But in on May first, nineteen ninety nine, um, an American mountaineer called Comrade Anchor, who, by the way, um, is is a legend among the serious mountaineers, um, they found his body below the yellow band, which is above eight thousand meters, but well below the summit. Um, we'll, we'll get to where that is on the mountain, but in all probability, uh, they did not make it. Although I think at the time that was Anchor's expedition to like discover more about, um, you know, this expedition and how they did it. So among the things they did is they recreated all like the, the, the period, like mountaineering outfits, like the guys mm. in the, in the picture on the right. And they tried to see if purely on like a material technical basis, you could do it. And Anchor said that you could you could probably do it if you know the weather didn't blow up in your face. That like they had the requisite technological skills and the ropes, and you know, it was all time all a zillion times heavier than the stuff is now. But technically speaking, it would have been possible. Did did they know to do things like bring supplemental oxygen? Did they have the technology to nope. do that at the time? No, no, they just went. 
Wow. So far as I know, Mallory has no supplemental oxygen. This is this is a sort of like uh, it's also like pure alpinism, right? Where uh, yeah. as it kind of like evolved as a doctrine, right? Which is that you assault the mountain, right? You you like you hike up to the base of it. You go, I think I can climb up that way, and then you just do it. Right? Mountaineering, open up! Mountaineering, yeah. open up! <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, continue and, the assault. You install like a cable lift. You add like a little mountain hut with it. That serves re- uh, that has a restaurant in it, you know. Maybe you do the full Swiss thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this it's, is like it's one great of- here. You should come visit. It's lovely. Those huts are great. I love it here. Oh, I like Switzerland a lot. I've only been once. It was a long time ago, but it was really good. Yeah, it's so. This is one of like two schools of mountaineering. Can talk about the other one in a bit, but this is like alpinism or like assault style mountaineering. Yes, yeah, so and- it's, it's sort of it, it's normally called like siege alpinism. It's literally like you get. All the shit you need, all the food you need, all the ropes you need, all the everything you need, you put it in a big pile, and then like you move the pile from the biggest pile to one camp above where you build another big pile, and then once you've stockpiled all your stuff and built a, a long line of ropes, you build another camp above that, and so on and so forth. And every time the pile gets a little bit smaller, we drag everything up, and then like once you're fully secured, you hop onto the next thing. That's sort mm-hmm. of how that goes. That's how they did it, and that's also how the first um, summit was achieved. Yeah. Maybe maybe install an escalator, you know. Um. <laughs> yeah, Roz outsmarts the mountain by simply building over it. <laughs> yeah. There, so there are there are two main routes up Everest uh, that that are sort of like popularly done. Uh, there's the one that almost everyone does now, and then there's a route from the north through Tibet that for a long time was like politically impossible. But that one has uh, like a long fixed ladder into it that a Chinese team put in in '75 oh, that you just you have go. to like climb up it. Uh, for for long periods. Uh, so yeah, because I trail. have I have engineer brain. I'm like, we could probably stick a cog railway on there and make this a lot easier. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> how how do uh, how do cog railways do with massive avalanches and you know falling ice cubes the size of you know several houses? I, I oh, you, well. you 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 build a snow shed. This is a okay. solved problem. <laughs> uh, so so I, the, part of the reason why I put Mallory in here is because he uh, sort of gave mountaineering its raison d'etre in terms of like why climb this bullshit mountain particularly um which is because it's there right uh this is the kind of like existential challenge is the thing the thing is there therefore climb it for like pleasure and it it it, it, speaking purely for me it is true like i like to go into a big mountain and stand on top of things and i don't think you need a better reason than that it, because it is there, because it looks cool, and you want to go up there and see what's up there, and like it's just it's incredibly cool and good. I mean, the stuff that happens on Everest, not so much so, but you know, we'll uh, yeah. just just the doing is very very cool, and I think because it's there is still the single best reason. Before we move off this slide, low, like tiny side note, I found this while doing a little bit of reading about um, Mallory, is that one of his teammates included a, um, a veteran rower from Oxford, I want to say, um, and an inventor called Sandy Irvine, who, before he went up to uh, Everest, I can't remember if he, re- if he survived or not, but he had also applied for a patent for a new kind of machine gun. And I tried, I promise you to find the patent, because that would be cool, but I could locate it in time. Everest machine gun. I, I I like that. Like I have a slide about snow. outfits later. <laughs> like th- these guys aren't dressed like this for the photo. They're dressed like this because this is what they were climbing in. Like wow. uh, and wearing a tie to try and go up into this the is fucking... my climbing costume. You got yeah. to you yeah. got to look nice. You got to look nice for the uh, for 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 the summit picture. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, next slide. We're jumping ahead a bit in time. 
this is like a brief, brief history. Um, so, 1953, uh, yep. we had the, the the first summit, um, which is at the coronation know, of Queen Elizabeth II. You know, yeah. last time the British Empire did a fucking thing. Yeah, it was, it was a sort of a signal moment for British excellence, in that a New Zealander and a Nepalese man. Uh, climbed a mountain <laughs> yeah. in Nepal and Tibet. Yeah, so, so um, th there was this real like culture shift as well in in terms of mountaineering, where um, there was this move away from this kind of like alpinism that that we've seen, the kind of like assault style thing, uh, to this much longer, much more siege based thing of like you know you build a bunch of camps up the mountain, you take a lot of people and a lot of shit. Um, and you have like multiple pairs of like climbing partners, um, and you know maybe one of the best mountaineers of his day, Eric Shipton, was like the guy who got sidelined off the command of this expedition because he was like, it's getting too big, it's like unworkable. I don't, it's barely even mountaineering anymore. Um, and you know, and instead they got they got some other guys in, and and they ran it like a military operation, which you know it kind of was, um, and. Yeah, mountain successfully conquered with the use of down jackets and synth and uh, supplementary oxygen. Um, yeah, as you so, can clearly see, like it's yes. uh, yeah. This is Edmund there, Hillary was... on and Tenzing Norgay. Um, yep. Tenzing Norgay, mm -hmm. the 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 Nepalese Sherpa, treated not well after this. No. Not as well as he should no. have been. Certainly, he got the George Medal out of it, and Hillary got a knighthood, which sort of that that distinction. Uh, well, kind of tells you everything you you need to know. Really, um, it, it was briefly a feature of like Nepalese nationalism that Norgay got onto the summit first. I don't think that's true, but I also don't think it matters. Yeah, um, no, doesn't doesn't matter at all for for like for this unless you go solo, which you know we'll get to. But um, it doesn't matter if you're first or second. Like the the, the last step, who gives a shit? Like you've, you've done, that, like you've done the impossible. Yeah. It's something yeah. that Hillary never claimed either. It's a, Hillary, like quite a nice man, very self-effacing. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh. I, I, he's not still alive now. I don't think, but he lived for like. No, he ages. passed away. He passed yeah. away. Um. But still, like, very, very active in commenting on like mountaineering, and you know, ever since was like, yeah, it was a team effort. Um. But yeah, so successfully, successfully conquered highest mountain in the world, stood on top of. Um. Great, fantastic. Uh. Next slide, please. Yeah. So then we get to um, these guys. Um, uh, these oh, they are cool, uh, they are fucking cool as all get out. Um, they are Peter Habler, Austrian, and Reinhold Messner, German, very German, both very Austrian and very German. The most very insane, the, the second most insane German man uh, of the seventies after Werner Herzog. Yeah. Yes, one hundred percent. What were they um, cooking in Germany in the seventies? <laughs> Bullets, <mostly>. bratwursts. <laughs> yeah. But they were um, the first uh, pair to do the summit of Mount Everest without supplemental oxygen. So they just did it under their own steam in 1978. This was this was a thing that genuinely at the time everybody says you can't do it. Like it's it's impossible. It's like the two hour marathon. Like you will by going up that high because it's not good for you. We'll get there uh, without oxygen. Like you will die. They had doctors say to them literally, like you might do it, but if even if you come home, you won't recognize your wife and children. It was sort of considered um, undoable, but they did it, uh, you know, with vast amounts of training and insane amounts of, of natural skills. Um, but they proved to the world that it could be done, and not only that it could be done, that you didn't need to do it in like the sort of siege mentality style. They did it in much smaller groups, much smaller packs, 
Um, on the bottom left, uh, you see that's uh, Habele uh, being photographed from below um, by Messner. Messner, by the way, who almost went snow blind because he had to occasionally take his uh, goggles and gloves off to take these pictures to prove that they had actually done it because they knew that if they didn't come home with pictures, nobody would fucking believe them. Sure. Um, and this just as a side note, but just as a as like a de- demonstration of how insane these guys are. Um, on their way down from doing the summit without extra oxygen, um, so about like 300 meters, so when you get below the rock band, um, Habla had glissaded, which is literally like sitting in the snow on your butt and just pointing yourself downwards and going, wee! Um, <laughs> and he's, he went from the summit down to Camp 4 in an hour, and that's like a descent of, I want to say, 3,000 feet or something, in an hour on the highest mountain in the world. And if you tip left or right, nobody will ever fucking find you again. Yeah. <laughs> which is... I can't believe like, you've begin to describe how insane that is, but it's also um, incredibly boss. Yeah. World slide champion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Undefeated. <laughs> uh, yeah, they would also do later on the uh, the very famous Eiger North face in 10 hours without knowing the route. They would just get up there because they were trying to rescue some stranded Polish climbers. Uh, and this was made world famous because at the time, Clint Eastwood was down there filming the Eiger section, the Eiger sanction, the movie. Um, which is actually filmed on the Eiger. It's for that. It's quite cool, even though it's a rubbish ass movie. Um, <laughs> and Harbour would again summit the Eiger North Face in a day at the age of seventy-four. So you know, if you want to aspire to be someone, being Peter Harbour uh, is one option. You could also be Reinhold Messner, but then you have to be much, much more stranger and insane. Yeah, <laughs> Messner had this kind of like Eminence Grease thing in his later years, where he was like, "Listen, it's not mountaineering unless you lose three fingers doing it." Uh, the snow changed me as a person. Uh, it was it was like almost mystical kind of alphanism. It was very, I mean, it was yeah. it was it was incredible. But like, because you knew he had done it. But um, yeah, not a man with a lot of kind words to say about like the sort of present state of mountaineering as an activity. Um, no, I mean this is part of let's it's it's a, I don't know different conversation I guess. But like part of the discussion is like now that because we've done pretty much every peak in like the most accessible way. The the whole conversation now, if you're a serious mountaineer, is like, do you do it in the right style? So do mm. you do it fast and light and not with these siege tactics? And you know, how much can you do in a day and like how, you know, can you do it in in even more strange and spectacular ways? We'll have a picture uh, in a later slide uh, of something the Russians did on Everest in 2004, which is insane. Yeah, we need. Well, the thing is, we need to colonize space urgently because the mountaineers are driving themselves insane. Um, I was about to say, you know, <laughs> yes. we, need, we need. All right, to Olympus Mons, let's go. <laughs> we we need to make new mountains. Yeah, pretty much because, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, fuck, fuck, hillizing Berlin, mountainize Berlin, so that we can give the Germans something to do because they're yeah. going nuts, not having new mountains to climb. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next slide, I think. This fucking guy. Yeah, so this fucking guy now. So this is, uh, the guy on the left is Dick Bass. Uh, He is an immensely wealthy oil, terrible fucking name, uh, terrible fucking guy. Uh, Comes from a family of oil tycoons. Um, And later, um, you can see it just on his uh, little collar of his, uh, of his blind white sweater, opens a skews. 
you know, it was cool. Yeah, his his cool turtleneck. He wore it before Steve Jobs um, in reverse. But um, yeah, and later opened a ski resort. So that's the kind of guy uh, he is. And he found another guy at some fucking rich people resort called Frank Wells, who would one day become the president of the Disney Corporation. So another you know good guy basically. Um, and he had done Bass had done like uh, some of the famous climbs in North America, like Mount McKinley, um, but said, "I want to do more and I want to do it better." Uh, so what they did is because they had far, far, far too much fucking money, um, they went out and hired some of the very best climbers in the world at the time: David Brashears, Rick Ridgway, some of the others. Uh, and they said to them, "We will give you like a shed load of money and also your own chance to do these mountains." Um, if you guide us up the highest summit on every continent, this is called the seven summits. Now it's a fairly sort of, it's a tick list to end all tick lists, basically. Um, certainly for start, like still like modern mountaineers, but also now for rich dickheads. Um, mm. Never yeah. let rich dickheads in your hobby, whatever no. it is. No. Um, so Dick Bass becomes the first person in the world, so including the entire fraternity of like serious mountaineers, to to do this. Although um, a Reinhold Messner, you know, of course, would say that his list is uh, dumb and gay uh, because he thinks that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you can still uh, see out of both eyes. What the fuck is wrong yeah. with you? Yeah. <laughs> it, no, it mainly centers around the question of which one is the highest peak in Oceania. Uh, Bass would say Kosciusko, which is like a big hill uh, in Australia. Yeah. And the other one is Carson's Pyramid on New Guinea, which is much higher and also much more terrifying to get to because it's 5,000 meters high and it's in the middle of a jungle. So it's, you know, not such an easy achievement. But basically... I, I, was, I was about to say, it is very funny that one of these is just like you know, a, a fairly large mountain in the Appalachians, you know, <laughs> about that size. It's like, wow, I, I climbed up to the Mill Mountain Star in Roanoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my, the thing about, you know, people who do the tallest, uh, the tallest one in every state and you get Florida's, it's just like a literal hill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, they published this book. You can see it on the right. It's called Seven Summits because Seven Summits. Um, and they basically kick off. Then it becomes a new rage because these guys who are supremely wealthy and to, in their, you know, in their defense, certainly Bass was a very fit man who did these things, you know, not not under his own steam, but he certainly was a very. By the end, he was quite a reasonably capable mountaineer he needed the professionals to drag him up it but you know he was not incapable but he kickstarted this off as like um you know no longer content with ruining the world with golf courses and things of that nature uh they A golf course like, on everest it's genius mm. oh yeah <laughs> death zone golf yeah i think i think it has a ring to it i think we can get away with it um we've golfed <laughs> on the moon why not you know yeah I'm looking forward to like getting our proposal to an insurance company and us going like, look, we have this idea for a business and can you insure us on this one? Like Step one, sponsor dirt racing team. Step two, sponsor Everest expedition to golf up there. <laughs> listen, you've heard of mini golf, but this is going to be mega Me golf. Mega I mean, listen, golf. If, you don't, if you don't fall off, and bear in mind the summit of Everest is about the size of like a dining table. If you don't fall off, driving like a golf ball off the summit of Everest has got to feel fantastic, right? Oh yeah, that sure. yeah, I, I I could I, I could see it, or like yeah. you know the the little windmill of the mini golf park going like the windmill going like hundred and ten miles an hour because of the gusting <laughs> wind. <laughs> <laughs> Try getting your ball through that, you know. It's just 
Uh, but yeah, basically, so with this, roughly speaking, you get the advent of um, of rich dickhead tourism because going to Nepal is very, very expensive uh, for all the reasons and going up a mountain the size of Everest is even more expensive. So you have to have a lot of money if you are an amateur and you want to get on with this. So what that leads to, next slide please, is this. Uh, this is uh, a picture from 2012 uh, at the time, but this is a pretty good summary of the modern uh, Everest industry because it is 100% an industry now. Um, uh, it depends on which records you believe, but about 7,000 odd people have now done the summit um, of Everest. If you're curious, the uh, record holder is uh, Kami Rita Sherpa, who's done it 28 times he, because he's a guide. And the female record holder is Lakpa Sherpa, who has done it 10 times also because she's a, a mountain guide. But the vast majority of people who have done this, so many of the thousands, are basically very rich uh, tourists with wildly varying skill levels, which occasionally get people killed, but we will uh, get there. Yeah, we'll get to um, that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, why are they all in this one uh, line? We will also get to that. But this is this is like a good day on Everest. That's what it looks like now. All these people trying to to do this. Um, this picture was taken in 2012 by Simone Moro, who is a very gifted Italian mountaineer, <clears throat> and he was at the time trying to do this uh, without oxygen. Um, uh, basically what he says, it's just an amusement park now. Um, it's, it's the highest mountain in the world. The, the, the line that you see before you is 200 climbers, uh, slowly ascending up to the South Pole. And basically he said, I, this is insane. This is incredibly dangerous. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Um, Smart. It yep. yeah I mean as as sort of a as sort of a, a brief symbol of like the modern Everest like tourism experience. Um, in 2014, there was a Chinese woman named Jin Wang who managed to take um, a helicopter to 21,000 feet and then started her climb from there. So skipping vast majorities of the base camp to higher up, and you know, as to whether or not that's she still did. mountaineering right. is a is you know is a different conversation, but it's certainly indicative of what has happened. To this mountain and this climb. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, helicopters are only getting better. They've landed one on the summit now. I mean, landed yeah, in heavy did. air quotes. The FAI, the FAI definition of landed, which is the rotors are still turning, but it's like on the ground for two minutes. You know. Yeah, they touched the Everest, skin, basically. Yeah. Mm. So we're 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 looking at a, a nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded right. type situation. Almost exactly. Yeah, parking <laughs> yeah, but... in New York, uh, Everest. Things of this nature. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the reasons that like people who are committed mountaineers don't do this route anymore. They either do something far more terrifying, or they do it without supplemental oxygen, or they do it in winter, which is another you know just incredibly scary thing to do. Uh, but they don't do this anymore because yeah, it because it's this now. Um, yeah, and as sort of further evidence of the circus, uh, if we go to the next slide, um, so this is Everest Base Camp. Um, and this is this is a luxury activity for rich dickheads now. Uh, you see these glamping motherfuckers in their giant space domes. Uh, Surprised they don't just build permanent structures at this point. Yeah, I mean we'll sort of get to why that is, but yeah, Everest <laughs> Base Camp is not is not like permanently occupied, and it now can't be. Um, but it it's still too high is the short answer. Um, hmm. This is you're still like acclimatizing on the way up just by being here. Um, yeah, this is uh, Everest Base Camp is at 5,200 or something. So that's 16,000, 17,000 feet up in the sky. Uh, so most people can't stay there anyway. Like it's, it's even at this altitude, people start being <coughs> quite extravagantly sick. 
Yeah, mm. it's it's a very. I like the phrase like, extravagantly sick. <laughs> yeah. I haven't I haven't been, and I I don't really want to. But from what I understand, Everest Base Camp is a very very weird atmosphere, uh, just yeah. by virtue of the people and the situation, and just all of this luxury stuff. Um, the Sherpas had to carry this up, install it, and then they're gonna have to like break it back down and carry it down again. Um, like none of this stuff is staying here over winter. Um. And it's just, it just feels so gross is the main thing. It's wrong. It's like, you're looking at something that like nature and, you know, common sense dictates should not remotely be there. And yeah, it is because rich dickhead tourism. It's, mm. yeah, it, 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 I, I get just kind of not good just from looking at it. Yeah. So, so now that we've told you why it's gross, we go to the, the next slide. We enter our, our next section, which is how you actually do it. What it's yeah. like. Walk a lot. Yeah. yeah, a little yeah. bit of walking, put, a little bit of being carried. Walking. Yeah, um, before we get, but you know, before you can put your boots on and put your crampons on and start, you know, your trek to the roof of the world. Uh, next slide, please. You have to pay uh, a certain amount of money. Um, what the fuck? These... <laughs> <laughs> Chuck a change right there. Yeah, this is a I mean, car. The, there this was is a house in some places. Th there was <laughs> one guy who tried to do it on the cheap and got away with paying seven thousand dollars, but he did freeze to death in front of like a lot of people. So you know, yeah, you gotta pay. But it sounds like you didn't get away with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not really a thing where you can get like a deal on sort of like self guiding. You know, yeah. Take the self-guided uh, tour of Everest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is just a, a, a screenshot from a website that sort of collates all the different companies that are available. <laughs> Gino, stop touching the microphone. Um, <laughs> Gino. I Gino. Uh, yeah, the, the dog is uh, near the microphone. No, wait, come on. Um, so what you see here, this is just a snapshot. Um, uh, it only goes, as you see, from E to I. So uh, this is not all the companies that are doing it. There's there's like a whole bunch more that, that are off screen. Um, and the cost, uh, as you can see, is anywhere between uh, 35K and 125, oh, sorry, 200,000 for the uh, Furtenbach Signature Adventure Trek up Everest. Um, what the hell is that? Oh, they probably it, it, like put you one of the domes, you know. Yeah, you, you, get, get, you, get, yeah. <laughs> you got like a flat screen. They, you, you, get a, you get you get a, you get taken up in a pressurized sedan chair. Well, there is a, well, there is things, a pressurized way, but that's not well, what you want the, to end the, up. Like we'll evacuation bag, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, the other thing is that, like, the, the, because what, base camp what doesn't. Bag? Uh, we'll, we'll get there. But so okay, the, the other thing is because base camp isn't a settlement, doesn't have rules. Like you can pitch a bunch of tents wherever you can clear it. So a lot of these companies will like have their own sort of separate adjunct camp. Uh, and you can be like, oh, this is you know the Hymex camp or whatever, the ultra prestige level where you've got to have like a fucking lanyard or something to get in. And we, you know, we've we, we made a guy carry an espresso machine up here or whatever. Uh, yeah. So like, um, as it, these are just the prices for like the expedition itself. Then there's like a whole bunch of stuff on top. Roughly speaking, it costs most people, including airfare and stuff, about uh, ten. $10,000 US dollars to get there and back. Uh, you pay another $11,000 this season for the uh, mountaineering permit. Um, you pay a $4,000 non-refundable trash deposit because all the shit that you use needs to get taken out, uh, although it frequently doesn't and it's really gross. We'll talk about we'll it later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there is, you have to hire like local people uh, at another 5.5K, roughly speaking. And then 
you have to pay for your own uh, supplies. Um, and that it is about 30K per person. That includes like your gear and stuff. And it also, uh, in like 99% of people, includes your need for supplementary oxygen bottles, uh, which cost about $500 a person because the Sherpas have to carry them up the extremely dangerous route. Um, and you'd need at least five of those per person to make any serious bid for the, for the summit. We'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Saving some so, money yeah. by cutting out the oxygen and just Don't dying. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got two uh, oxygen tanks right here. I slap my chest and immediately fall. <laughs> so you start walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're wondering, by the way, I think I have this right. If you're looking at the bottom two, it says international mountain guys, brackets, hybrids, and then brackets, Sherpa. I think bracket hybrid means also white guide. Mm. I'm fairly wow. sure that's what that means. That's uh, that's uh, you know, in case you're in case you're um, Racist. that's for the racists, yeah, 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 yeah. fully. That's for South uh, Africans. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong about that, and you know, uh, but this comes out in America, so freedom of speech, fuck you. Um, well, yeah. and, and like, it's 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 a good income for like professional mountaineers to to like yeah. help haul people up mountains like this. It's a, it, it, it certainly is. Um, so you've paid a bunch of money. Uh, you've hired, you know, you're getting domed off in the tent. Um, but, I have but a bunch of thoughts about the economics of getting domed off in the tent that I'll get to later <laughs> on when we get to like 2014. Yeah. Um, uh, next slide, please. I mean, sex work is a, it, it, it is a real thing. Maybe not a base camp necessarily, but like, uh, there's, yeah, no, it can, it can get grim. Um, Right, yeah, the actual mountaineering. Yeah, so this shows the main path. This is the path that uh, Hillary and uh, Tenzing Sherpa took. Um, it is the, it is the main trade route. This is where everybody goes because, as Alice already mentioned, the other main route is through Tibet, uh, which China closes a lot and has a bit more problems with you uh, parking your big-ass dome, whereas Nepal doesn't have that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some some sort of like fragment of communism survives in the CPC's institutional mm -hmm. memory where it's like no no flat screen dome <laughs> um, there are I should also mention because like this is a bit important because like serious mountaineering still gets done uh, on this route as well so there are 14 other lines to, to get up this mountain uh, which includes the picture on the right that is the 2004 Russian uh, Diratissima North Face route Diratissima meaning the most direct line possible um, <laughs> just uh, okay. the most Russian thing to be like I climb mountain you just go straight up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. real assault mentality yes <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, that picture only shows like the the the, the final end of the like the, the the top of the route, but obviously that's a little bit different than going for a walk. That was an astonishing feat of mountaineering, and obviously no guide in their right mind is going to take you up that because you would both die. It's uh, it's, it's like imagining you know the fucking dentist who paid a hundred k to get to the summit of Everest. He's like on the top taking photos for the gram, and then like two Russian guys yeah. hold themselves in, over in, the side. Tracksuits, yeah. Tracksuits, yes. We have to climb straight because Boris saw bear. <laughs> <laughs> Just you, you literally got the guys like. Oh, did you pack your oxygen? And you just pull out bottle after bottle after bottle of vodka, and <laughs> and, and two and and two Kalashnikovs. <laughs> Never know when you see snow bear. Celebratory gunfire on the roof yeah. of the world, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, basically, so why, apart from, you know, uh, China not letting you <laughs> get domed off, um, do people take this this route? Uh, it's because it's the easiest. Uh, it's also why Hillary and 
Tenzing did it in this particular manner. Yeah, the, the, I do find it funny that the, they chose to name the climbing ground the North Face, the ubiquitous one, when, as you see, the North Face is the one that the Russians are like climbing up vertically like Spider-Man. It's like sort of turning point Everest, you know? Interesting, you wear the North Face and yet you climb the Southeastern Face. Yeah. yeah. You, I mean, technically speaking, uh, the North Face, like man, now most of their stuff is for like more for people who want to look like a mountaineer and just like, I don't know, go to the big Tesco. Um, mm. But so they I just do think have... the jackets are warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you catching strays over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, if you want to be a cool dude, uh, they make the summit series these days, which is like, which is their like, oh, oh, you actually mean it stuff. Um, anyway, <laughs> different conversation, and I support other brands as well. Um, big, big Arcterex guy, you know. Uh. <laughs> now I live in Switzerland, so mammoth. Um, ah, of course. Now, yeah. Uh, no, essentially, the, the big way to do this is uh, certainly up to Cap 3 is you need to acclimatize. That means you need to go to base camp, stay there for a really long time, because like your body and especially your lungs need to get used to the air being thin and there being, you know, more uh, CO2 and it, you know, not essentially being very good for you. So your lungs need to train. So what you do is you stay for a long time in base camp, then you make your way to Camp 2. You stay there for a bit, you go down. You go back up, you go to camp three, you go back down, and then you do that for a couple of weeks, and then you hope you get a good weather window, and then you make the summer push to camp four, and then uh, the summit. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that you weather can see window is going to be really important later. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the weather windows are often very small, because as you will imagine, uh, the tallest mountain on Earth uh, catches some wind and other weather. Uh, weather. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, as I said before, uh, even at, at base camp, because it's over 5,000 meters in, in altitude, you can already get acute mountain sickness in various and delightful forms from the altitude, and you might even need to get helicoptered out at base camp, so right before you start going to the... Um, in some sort of bag. Before you actually start climbing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, so, if, you, if you need to get helicoptered out in, in like the worst situations, dead or alive, they will just sling you under a helicopter, you know? You can just yeah. deal with that, you know? Uh, you will also need some some other bits. Uh, next slide, please. Yeah. So this is sort of similar to what we've uh, seen before. Uh, like basically, if you are paying, you are not going up there like a big hero because uh, you are presumably far too incapable to like install your own ropes and you know manage your own self. So what you do is you clip onto a fixed line. That's what you see before you. That's why literally these people are walking in a line. Um, and that's because the Sherpa guides have gone in front of you ahead of the big summit uh, weather windows and they have built a path for you. Um, they maintain the path, they build camps, all that stuff. Uh, so basically what they do is they fix long lines of rope to the mountain and what you do is um you clip you clip into the rope and then you put one foot in front of the other and then you get to a transition point you clip into another rope and then you continue until you reach the summit or you know as the case may be not um yeah so you may from looking at this picture the one before have sort of off your own free will come across some of the problems that um arise when there's a big queue and everybody's on the same rope mm. and you can't also, detach yourself from the rope mountaineering a sort of mm. like free-spirited individualistic activity get on the fucking rope yeah, <laughs> yeah. everybody in line get on the rope shut right. up I, i'm pretty sure there's enough demand here that they could put in a cog railway i'm just saying <laughs> well that's an entrepreneurial spirit yeah. <laughs> the, only problem, the only problem is you will have to rebuild the cog railway constantly every year um, yes you just avoid the glacier, you know. Okay. <laughs> the Dirichlet. Well, that is getting railway. That's, that's an elevator. Yeah. 
No, it's sideways. You, it's a railway. You, you could do like the young Frau Yak and have most of it in a tunnel. Yeah, I mean, the Iga has a tunnel too. I mean, yeah. there was a thing. So China did say in 2015 that they were going to build a rail tunnel under Everest, but they uh -huh. also said they were going to do that by 2020. So. <laughs> They're getting well, around to it. Yeah. yeah, I like the idea of a bunch of people like standing on the other side, like looking at their watch and just kind of stamping their feet and going, "When's this fucking drink coming?" <laughs> uh, it'd be I funny mean, if they do... had like uh, they have an emergency exit uh, uh, from the tunnel at the peak of Everest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some trains in, like, in, a lot in of stairs and, and Tibet that you have to get a doctor's note to ride because the air is so thin that like even just being a passenger is dangerous. Oh yeah, it's uh they they go they go way way up there. The cars are pressurized and everything, mm. um you know. So that then when you get off at Laza, then you get the altitude sickness instantly. Um, <laughs> the altitude sickness that kills you instantly. Well, yeah. we'll talk about that. I'm fucking we will, slide, yeah. uh, thirty-five. Something, brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had to get special yeah, so... diesel locomotives for the atmosphere, which were made in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm. Wow, <laughs> nice. Shout out. Um, but, you know, like, uh, as you can see, like, again, none of this is possible without the Sherpas because they are the people who make the ropes that allow you to haul your fat ass up there. Um, next slide, please. motivate you to haul your fat ass up there if you don't want to haul your fat ass up there anymore. Also that, yes. Um, this is the other thing you need. Uh, basically, you need supplemental oxygen because your body, nobody's body, is designed to be at these altitude for really any serious length of time or at all. Um, these are also carried up and placed there by Sherpa support teams who therefore have to make um, several very dangerous crossings through the Kumbu Icefalls. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, that's what this looks like. This is Camp 2, I think. Or Camp th yeah, I think it's Camp 2. Um, and like basically you have to you have to uh, do it this way. Uh, these are picks from one of the guiding companies. Um, I can't remember which one. Also, I don't care because it's not promo. Uh, they charge about uh, $10,000 US dollar for you to, to enjoy the privilege of breathing while going up Everest. You can also not have that optional extra. Uh, yeah, so as a brief side note before we move on, uh, during uh, the pandemic, obviously the Nepalese healthcare system is not the best in the world. Uh, during the COVID pandemic, the Nepalese government was actually begging climbers and expeditions to bring their um, like empty oxygen tanks back down to Kathmandu uh, because the country had run out of supplemental oxygen and they really didn't need it to treat some patients. If you wanted to have like a nice sort of, uh, you know, glimpse of the disparities between uh, how different people live in this yeah, world. Not, not as not as important as getting your orthodontist up a mountain. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Tourism's a great thing to base an economy on. <sighs> the healthiest, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the one thing you don't necessarily need on the mountain, that but that you definitely leave on the mountain is, next slide, please. Oh my God. Look at these Crash. beautiful views. Wasn't this worth going halfway around the world and paying $100,000 for? Um, yeah, so, so th there's a real spectrum here. Like... Uh, whether it's like you throw a drink bottle over the side, or whether it's you leave your uh, mummifying corpse on the mountain. Where you anything, deserve to be, let's be very clear yeah, about that. Yeah, a anything that goes up has to come back down, or it just stays there, and because Everest is one of the driest places in the world, it like preserves stuff very, very well, even you know stuff that isn't plastic. Um, also, the, the piss and the shit. Because uh, people do, somewhere. do be shitting, you do got to shit somewhere. And the traditional mountaineering thing to do for this is you just kind of like dig a hole and shit wherever. You might not bother with the hole. Um, and someone has worked out that uh, each season you leave about twelve thousand kilograms, about twenty six and a thousand, uh, twenty six and a half thousand pounds of shit on Everest, like literal shit. Um, 
it's it's like not at all uncommon when you're like pitching tents at camps to be dodging other people's shit frozen wolves yeah. or just frozen turds at that point you're probably adding more weight to the mountain and shit than plate tectonics are adding to the mountain and rock every year yeah well i mean tectonically, yeah. it might be shrinking we're actually not sure um but yeah, yeah. Like, no i think everest is still growing i think everest <laughs> is still growing Mm. But like even stuff like you know, used oxygen canisters like increasingly get recycled, but still a lot of them just get dumped. Um, if we you know, keep this up for a couple million years, that's going to be a geological feature. Oh yeah, yeah. these uh, the 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 small yellow ones are like camping stove fuel um, mm. for for cooking. A um, lot of like little drinks containers and stuff. Um, you know, so yeah. Uh, and this is this is a view for a lot of it. Um, oh, yeah, so. yeah. Except higher up when there's, you know, slightly more corpses in your, your view. But, you know, uh, Rainbow we'll, we'll Valley. get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ex- so at this point, uh, you know, you have your line, you have your oxygen, uh, you've, you've had shit. Uh, let's, let's start going up the mountain. Uh, next, next slide, please. This is the Kumbu Icefall. This is a picture from 2015. It changes every year because, as you can see, this is where a very, very big glacier tips over into um, uh, terrain of a slightly hang- uh, higher angle and therefore is not a solid glacier anymore, but a very broken up, rubbly um, field with giant blocks of ice called seracs. Uh, and every year uh, before the, f- the the commercial season starts, uh, specialized teams of climbers, uh, Nepalese Sherpas, go up and uh, create a new route through this death trap. Because this, all of this is very slowly but very surely shifting downward. Because it's a glacier, it, it moves, um, so it's unstable, um, and a lot of these blocks can and occasionally do tip over, and you know people underneath it don't tend to survive that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, like I said at the very beginning, tell me that putting a route through here with like ropes and aluminium ladders isn't fucking engineering. Look me dead in the eye and tell me that that's not some serious fucking engineering work. J- um, Justin, just like, well, yeah, okay, but you well, could yeah, okay, do it but you railway. could. You could maybe sort of dig into the rock on the side here and build a staircase, I'm thinking, (laughs) you know, have some kind of like concrete over. You would need another snow shed is the thing, but Robert (laughs) Moses looking at Everest. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is in some ways the like most dangerous bit on the numbers. It, it's more dangerous because you know more people go through it. Uh, you have to go through it multiple times. You try and time it so that you do it when the ice is most stable. Uh, it's it's least stable in the day because the sun's melting it. Um, but yeah, this is this is the kind of thing that needs a lot of like staging through and building those routes and maintaining those routes and moving all of your oxygen canisters and camping fuel stoves like packs and stuff is very very dangerous work which is why it gets done by sherpas surprise surprise yeah you uh, as 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 an orthodontist you only do this like five times or something if you're the sherpa supporting the orthodontist you will do this many many more fucking times um although the guys who put up these routes are called the ice doctors which i think is just a very cool job name name. and i you know i don't want their jobs because i like living but i do think it's cool uh (laughs) You know, it's, it's a cool, it's a good, cool job name. So you've put, now, now you've come through base camp, and at the top of the uh, icefall where this sort of all stabilizes again is camp one, and from camp two, from camp one you go to camp through two, and that is through the uh, Lotsi ice face. Uh, next slide, please. Big wall. Um, big wall. Big 
big icy big glaciated uh wall again here you can see the fixed lines uh that everybody is on all the time uh basically what you do is you clip on with a thing called a called a juma you have two of them um basically it's uh slide juma up the rope kick the crampon kick the crampon slide the juma up the rope kick the crampon kick the crampon and so on and so forth until you get to uh camp three and ultimately the uh summit um, this is, as you can imagine, certainly at the altitude, uh, very, very hard and very, very difficult. Not that difficult, like technically, but it is very, very hard because you're exerting yourself um, at a very high altitude. And as you can see, um, most people will at this point be already wearing their like full down suits. Um, and the sun does hit the Lotsi face in the afternoon. So you can do this, you know, kick stepping at many thousands of feet in the air whilst also boiling because the sun is cooking your uh, down suit. Oh. Uh, so Fun. right before you get to cap three, uh, the slope angle goes to more like 40 or 50 degrees, which I think is what you see on the right, uh, which is just, just, yeah, just the, more the last abruptly. bit is, yeah. Um, but then you reach the delightful safety of camp three. Uh, next slide, please. You can you can have another shit here. You can throw an oxygen canister down the, down the face and like kill a bunch of people. Oh, oh that'd be uh, funny. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want. You yeah, can play Gold yeah, Zord. Yeah. I definitely want to roll something down this uh, slope here. <laughs> I, the, you couldn't stop me from rolling no, something down. No, I'd be one of those cheese rolling competitions ASAP. Yeah, I need, because, I need like, a, like a big boulder or something, you know? Um, we have, have you just invented the sport of orthodontist bowling? Is that what? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I got to shove the Indiana Jones rock. Down the slope, <laughs> you're, you're like at the bottom of the 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 climb. You're like hooked in. You see the Indiana Jones rock at the top. And you're like, oh boy, fucking reeve, fucking reeve. This is one. This is one for the offensive bowling animations, uh, YouTube guys. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when I get a seven ten orthodontist split. That's so fucking hard to clean up. <laughs> Get in there, Dr. Yeah. Powers. Get in there, you yeah. son of gonna, a bitch. Gonna, gonna have to Fred Flintstone this one. <laughs> well, it's a living, I say, as I bowl an orthodontist to his death. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, I don't want to spend too long here, but basically all I wanted to do was point out, you see how all those tents are sort of horizontal on this incredibly sloped piece of glacier? Um, that's because the Sherpas go up every year and like hack out uh, like horizontal platforms for you to put your tent up well for for them to also put your tent up so you can collapse and heap inside it just you know again 99 percent of people would not be doing it without the incredible logistics and support uh of vastly underpaid people who take incredible risks to get your fat ass up there mm. uh next slide please because it's still hard enough physically that it makes you feel like you're doing something really difficult but you are but it's been go windsurfing, like, you fucking yeah. pussy. Yeah, <laughs> not um, me. I will be on. I will yeah, be at the tiki bar. Th th this is one of the problems of climbing Everest: <laughs> is that you, you're hooked onto the thing climbing up, and there is going to be like a mountaineer or like some extreme sports guy who is like on some shit on the way down in an unconventional manner. You know, you, you're climbing <laughs> the chocolate up and, that killed the Wehrmacht. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and a guy is like fucking windsurfing down, and you're like, okay. All right, guy. 
There was a, I, I want to say it's a Slovakian guy whose name is, escapes me who uh, skied from the summit of Everest all the way down to base what camp. What the fuck? Yeah, there, oh, there were a couple of guys who came, who came down on like wingsuits. Yeah, um, that's yeah. sick. Anyway, this is uh, on, on a good day. Um, again, foreshadowing uh, what happens when there's a good weather window. This is everybody moving up to camp four for a summit push. Um, and somewhere between camps three and four, you encounter this thing. It's called the yellow band. As you can see, it's limestone. Uh, you just need to do a quick bit of traversal um, at about 26,000 nope. feet. Nope. Um, nope. And the rock like is extremely... climbing gym stuff, but at I, massive altitude. Right, and if you it's, slip, you are, you are sucking some dog. Well, it's like if, if, if you line. shut up. I don't know if you went out for like a, a, a small local hike and you just saw this, like you you were like, oh, I'm just going to get up that. You wouldn't think twice about doing this because, like, as you can see, it's not like a technical thing to to do. It's just trying to do this um, at like a rock angle between twenty and thirty degrees at this altitude while wearing crampons, while exhausted, while carrying oxygen. Um, is not that easy. Also, it takes about two hours to traverse this band. This band, um, and if you slip, it takes you a long time to get up, and everybody else behind you has to wait because there's, you know, only the one fixed line. So, do try not to do that. See, uh, I'm seeing this kind of pedestrian load with this amount of vertical circulation, and you know, I, public transit brain in me is saying, oh, "Put a God. fucking escalator in." <laughs> uh, I'll tell them, man. I, I'm really enjoying the Rosniak program for how we like ease these public. Transport we need to. Loads. Okay, if we make it boring, no one will do it anymore, and we won't have these problems. <laughs> we That's just my plan. Yeah, have a little. Yeah, a little a bus little. that goes up yes. nine million switchbacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we do run an escalator, but like at a slightly faster speed, so people think it's frightening that way. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, uh, it's like yeah, those high-speed uh, moving walkways they have on a Paris metro, except I'm not yeah. sure how you do the speed transition on an escalator. <laughs> that's, that's very confusing. Someone will figure it out. Uh, so, yeah, you make your way from uh, Camp 3 to Camp 4. Next slide, please. Almost made it. You're very close, and that is also sometimes the problem. You uh, only have about 3,000 vertical feet to go at this point. Uh, the problem is, because you can now see the summit, you can see the summit pyramid in the back there, um, you do tend to go a little loopy, because you're like, you are now so close, you can see the goal, uh, and you've paid so much money, and it's so close, and God, you, you just want to get up there. Uh, you know, who cares what the weather's doing? It's fine. You'll be fine. Don't worry about that. Um, and also, like you are now officially in what is delightfully known as the death zone, uh, and your body really just doesn't doesn't want to be there. Just yeah, it really I, doesn't want to be there. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? If there's a place called the fucking death zone, don't go there. Yeah, I would avoid. <laughs> you I would have avoid 3, the death zone. Three thousand feet to go. <laughs> what the it's, fuck? It's only going to get worse. Uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the death zone. Uh, next slide, please. Deathzone.jpg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, AKA God just doesn't want you to be there. He says you're getting too close and it's time for you to turn the fuck around. Um, yeah. So yeah, you are now between the south core of Everest at 26,000 feet and the summit at 29,035 feet. Um, yeah, it's uh, this is, I think this is from an interview with Simona Morrow again. I'll just read a little bit. Climbing at this altitude is a cocktail of euphoria and deep suffering. Stars pop in your peripheral vision. The moisture drains out of your body and your voice becomes thin, tainted by something you can't put your finger on. A fit climber with a resting heart, heart rate of 45 per minute can crumple on an easy snow slope. You think you're in control until you have to do something very simple, say, uh, assemble a small stove that you've put together a thousand times before. 
you can't do that anymore. Uh, mountaineering at extreme altitude has nothing to do uh, with normal mountaineering. Up there, every single step is torture. Every moment becomes savagely difficult. Actually, this is an interview with Habler, one of the, uh, the guy who uh, did it without oxygen. Uh, with with insane, like, Austrian mystics, yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, over half of all deaths on Everest uh, occur here. The others mainly in the uh, icefall below. Uh that's because literally, like your body is not designed to be at these altitudes. It it physiologically doesn't want to be there. Like for example, the lack of oxygen in your blood uh, slows down wounds closing. So if you like get a little bit loopy and, and clumsy because you're at this altitude, and like you cut yourself on your crampons or your ice axe, uh, they don't close so well no more. Um, you also tend to not eat or drink very well because you're so fatigued like you you can't make yourself do it so you do tend to be like constantly pushing yourself forward on empty and also because you haven't really been sleeping because try sleeping with an oxygen mask uh, on or off at twenty six thousand feet um, i slept with a cpap and i'm fucking fine but i guess i'm just built different <laughs> <laughs> you'd be fine well yeah see you see you on the mountain next season that's that's all i gotta say <laughs> All right, WTYP ascends Everest. <laughs> I have a question, which is, yeah. you have all these effects of hypoxia, but you have an oxygen mask. Is the oxygen just not sufficient, or how does that work? Well, the problem is, like, if you, you can turn, like, the, the dial up and just have, like, full blast oxygen and get a nice night's sleep, but then you probably won't have enough oxygen in that same bottle to make the summit the next day. Uh, so you're constantly okay. trading off, like basically you're you're sort of living at a minimum viable level, so that when it comes to the summit push, you have just enough liters of compressed oxygen to just make it back up and back down. But like it, Take yourself it's very bounce, much on yeah. the edge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the limiting Probably, factor is like weight of oxygen canister. Yeah, they, they could. What they could do is put a big pressurized dome oh my God. <laughs> over the summit. <laughs> 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 run an oxygen line up there or not even that it would just be a large ventilation system at that point uh you know i'm, I'm just saying there's engineering solutions to all these problems <laughs> i'm thinking of like uh the the palm jumeirah at the moment and just like making uh, a tiny everest on everest and putting a bunch of luxury condos on them <laughs> Yeah, another thing that you have apart from the the hypoxia, which is affecting your uh, higher cognitive functions, functions such as you know decision making, which you probably don't need don't up need there. That. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. to get rid of that. Is uh, the other thing is because of the lack of oxygen, you have these huge like hormone surgeons of uh, no, surges of epinephrine <laughs> of like um, epinephrine and dopamine so like while your actual body is decaying you have these periods where you feel incredibly exuberant and capable of doing anything um you know at a time where that might not necessarily be true right but, you know you, at, at you the moment feel we could push for the summit at a time when it's unsafe yeah well it's not yes. safe, uh, but you know yeah and also like apart from you know that's all the quote unquote, regular stuff that the main thing is that everybody does tend to get is um you need to go back down the mountain because people tend to burn themselves up to get to the summit and you know on your way down maybe you just um take a step left instead of right and you just pop off like eight thousand feet or you maybe you sit down because actually you're quite tired and you just fall asleep and never wake up and then you become um a popsicle on you know you become a landmark 
Yeah, yes. unless unless yeah. some Sherpas want to go up and carry your ass down, you just stay there. You become a landmark because you know, like we say, it's very dry. You just get mummified, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like it's it's very dangerous doing that. There was a, a woman called um, Hannah Laura Schmatz who who died in a sort of like very obvious position. Uh, again, just from, just of exhaustion, just like collapsed. Um, and people felt bad. This like Nepalese police inspector and a Sherpa went up to bring her down. Both of those guys died. Uh, just like fell off the mountain. So yeah. It's yeah, for a while, for a long time, many years, there was this uh this corpse green boots, um, because you know, the dude just went headfirst into a snowdrift, uh, only thing sticking out in these bright green mountaineering boots. Um and I, I think his body lasted up there until it like actually got swept off the mountain. Like I thought they brought him down eventually. It's very hard. Like there was earlier this year, um, there was a bit of controversy around a forgotten her name the norwegian woman who was well the first to do like the 14 8000ers without oxygen and like she mm. she did it but the last one she did was k2 and there was controversy as to whether or not they had walked past like a dying climber basically and not helped and it's like i can't remember what happened there whether or not that was true or not but like the basic thing is you already so pushing yourself to the limits of human functioning that the thought of like carrying another like 200 pounds of human uh, in a, in a down suit is pretty much you're not doing that. Mm. Like if you you sit down there, you fall there unless like a handful of extraordinary human beings come by, like Strong the men, Sherpas. Right. Yeah. yeah, you are you, you're dead and you're staying there and like you know not helping is not just like uh, um, not easy. It's very liable to get you killed as well. That's why yeah, that it's generally sort of speaking not, not possible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you're very close to the summit now, and all you have to do is, next slide please, you have to get over uh, this thing. This is called the Hillary Step. Um, it was very, very famous. Uh, this is on the left-hand side, you see what it looked like uh, before the 2015 earthquakes, and on the right side, what it looks like um, today. So this was uh, at about 8,790 meters up. Uh, it is a series of 12 individual moves on this big block you see on the left-hand side. Um, and very obviously this is a big bottleneck because like yeah. you can't have five guys going up there at the same time. It's one person at a time. And I think you can only descend. Like if one person is descending, nobody's going up at the same time. Um, the climbing is not very hard. Again, if you saw this in a park and you felt reasonably confident in like base level climbing, you would just do this. Yeah, um, I could, I, I could probably do this on a good day. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah, it weren't that far up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was a fixed yeah. rope. I ain't worried about shit now. Yeah. If you'll, if you'll join me on my, well, there's your problem. Embezzles three hundred thousand dollars to go climb Everest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting the prestige package. Yeah, the racist package. <laughs> Um, yeah, a quick side note, if you do this without the uh, fixed line, if you fall off on the left-hand side, you fall uh, 8,000 feet straight down the left side of the mountain. And if you fall off on the right side, you fall 10,000 feet down the mountain on the other side. So d don't, don't do that. Don't um, do that. Is, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned Rainbow Valley earlier. Um, this is a, a little geographical feature you can see from the summit of Everest, and this is uh, all the people who did one of those two things, uh, and it's called Rainbow Valley because it's uh, a lot of dead bodies in very brightly colored climbing gear Exciting. that are just sitting in, you know, having eaten shit on some jagged rocks. On the other hand, um, your situational awareness rapidly improves as you get all that more oxygen in you as you drop <laughs> that far. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you're the healthiest yeah, then... you've ever been in like hours, days. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> Nothing bad is going to happen to your corpse. <laughs> I'm taking uh, your shit. Yeah, the I'm joke, taking, the joke I'm about the, the I, you know, yeah, I'm uh, taking your down the left shaft. I'm taking down your corpse's boots. I'm taking them. <laughs> I'm taking that jacket too. I'll have that. <laughs> well, they are very expensive jackets, so you know, probably resale market for. Yeah, I'm making my money That's back. Like, exactly. A lot of expensive climbing gear just left up there. Absolutely, going begging. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, after that, yay! Congratulations. Next slide, please. You did it. You did it. You did it, Ikad. Congratulations. You walked, you walked up the Congratulations, hill. Congratulations, listener. You've su- you've summited Everest. This is this is the whole size of the summit, by the way. Um, that's, that's small. It's, it's it's snow and ice. I mean, it's you know, it's a summit. Um, and you can get some photos to to stick in your like waiting room, um, because you are an orthodontist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have, may, may, maybe your secretary will finally look at you and bang you like you've yeah. always been wanting. No, she won't. You deserve to be so unhappy. So like yeah, but a fun story to tell at a wedding reception. It's true. Or at least you think it's fun. The people you're telling it to <laughs> may not. <laughs> maximum maximum time up here is like half an hour max. And then you, you want to get down sooner rather than later because uh, this is a good way to just become exhausted and leave it too late. And you have to climb down in the dark when you can't see and it's much colder and you die. Yeah, um, that's that's not foreshadowing, by the way. That's just a coincidence that we're talking about that. Um <laughs> If we go to the the next slide, uh, yeah, I have saved you all several hundred thousand dollars. This is the view from the summit of Everest. Now you don't have to go. You're welcome. This does yeah. count for your college credits too. You're gonna have to go. <laughs> you can now say somewhat evasively, "I have seen the view from the top of Mount Everest." You know what would yeah. what would be you're, really you're gonna funny. have to go climb Annapurna now. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> there are other Annapurnas in the lives of man. For yeah. instance, Annapurna. If we get stupid rich, what we should do is open a college. That's objectively get, the funniest thing we, we could get, do. If we get stupid rich, the funniest thing we could do is like do some really high altitude art installation. You know the like uh you know, towns in Montana or whatever that have like a, you know, go sports team thing on the side of the mountain overlooking town. We do one of those on like Nutze, so that anyone who has to go up to the ma- the summit of yes. Everest gets to see like, well there's your problem written in stones or spray paint or something on like <laughs> big, one of these. Big peaks. welded girders like on the I'm, summit ridge of yeah. Nutze. Yeah. I'm funding I'm funding the cog railway to the top of Everest. Um that's you know that, that's just what I'm doing. This is this is a safe this is a safety hazard, this whole thing. If enough people want to go up there, we got to start fixing some shit, you know? So so remember what we said about how we weren't doing any foreshadowing? Next slide, please. It's uh, a, a, little, a little presentation I put together within a presentation of the ways you're going to die. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what's not commonly known is this actually used to say ways the mountain will kill you land. Those letters <laughs> fell over. <laughs> if we if we go to the next slide, please, uh, I'll run us through the the major hazards. We've kind of touched on most of these already, but um, so this is a this is a Serac. Uh, this is the bottleneck at K two, so called because it's, you're climbing up an ice slope uh, towards. Ah, uh, freaks me out just looking at it. It's just like that whole wall or bits of it is liable to like just pop off and crush you at any fucking time. Oh yeah. So so a Serac is like an ice overhang, big ice cube. Um, and the, these move, and it's, a, it's like an essential part of how glaciers like descend. Um, and if one of these falls on you, you maybe get crushed by the entirety of it, which is like a block of ice the size of a house or a skyscraper. Kill zone. Yeah, you just uh, you you might get hit in the head by a rock and killed if it misses you. 
you might die in an avalanche that it starts if it misses you. Uh, these are these are really really bad news and an absolutely like routine occurrence, and you're just like dodging these. It's also sometimes because it's it like might, pure luck of the draw. You might be fine. It might have a hole in it. And you have sort of a Buster Keaton situation, you know? <laughs> I mean, there are, there are absolutely people alive who have had like very, very near misses where like a block of ice the size of like a, you know, VW has gone past them and missed them by like inches, you know? Um, so that's, that's yeah. a Serac. Um, if you didn't have that euphoria from just like the hypoxia, you will have it after that fucking thing misses you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next slide, please. You got uh, weather. Now, Weather takes many forms. Uh, you could uh, get lost in a storm and die. Uh, you could get too cold in a storm and die. You could shelter from a storm at the wrong time or in the wrong place and die. Um, and because you're so far up, the wind speed is like you know up to like 200 miles an hour, so you might just get blown off into a chasm and die. Um, but also, it, it changes better better. so so quickly. Um, this is this is why we're talking about like weather windows. This is why that's important. Is um, if it is like yeah, if there is a storm coming in, and like if you are able to forecast that, do not climb the mountain. And this is true of any mountain. Like you can die in Scotland this way. People do every winter, every year, like, every year. Yeah. People die and die like yeah, easily. Like, oh, like oh, Scotland's doing... Scotland's easy mode. I'm Monroe backing, and next thing you know, yeah. mountain rescue is like hauling a frozen corpse off of Glencoe or whatever. Yeah, Ben Ben Nevis and Glencoe are like quite famous for just like slaughtering people who didn't see it coming. Yeah, because it, it, it's kind of the thing. It's like it, it doesn't have the like cultural cachet that Everest does, and it's like you can get a train there, and yeah, so people are like, yeah, I can just walk up in trainers, you know. Yeah, it uh, seems like a, just a nice, you know, a nice uh, stroll up a hill, and then suddenly, boom, and you're gasping uh, for you breath know. and dying. Absolutely. That's why. That's why I limit my hiking to. Uh, the Mill Mountain Star in Rono. Uh, <laughs> Which I'm about to put a goddamn railway on. Yeah. Uh, ne next slide, please. Uh, this is another another Cumbal Icefall favorite. This is a crevasse. Um, crevasse is French for hole. Don't fall in the hole. Don't, um, don't do that. Don't go in hole. That's really bad. These are these are generally like bridged with these like aluminium ladders, like you can see. Uh, you get a bunch of them like lashed together, as you can see. These can go really, really long. Uh, and for the most part, they stay stable unless they don't, and you just get pitched off the ladder and die, um, or you're you know attached to a rope and you have to like haul yourself out. Um, sometimes, which, which is possible, but like do it at you know seven thousand meters up while yeah, wearing a lot yeah. of kit and not sure. being able to breathe. It is like it's not difficult rope work, but like at that altitude, you can't light a stove. So good luck, or hmm. you know you have to have the Sherpas haul you out and like build a rope system. Possible, but you know they're gonna. Fun. Yeah. Also, you're gonna, fun, you're gonna fun. Kick your kidneys out, and you deserve it. Fun detail about crevasses: uh, these can and do regularly get like uh, snow bridges over them, where uh, you get like a thin layer of like snow and ice that forms over the top that isn't enough to support a person's weight, but does make it invisible. Um, and yeah, so, so sometimes you can just like disappear down a hole that is you know hundreds of meters deep. Yeah, and then uh, uh, you're at the unpleasant. bottom of a glacier, and I think they two years ago or something they. Because like the glaciers are retreating now, and occasionally they find not so much people, but like people that are now millimeters thin and scraped uh, because they've been caught between two ice layers because of a crevasse. Um, so they are very, very big pancakes now. Do not that. preserve pancakes. Isn't that like a vault fault yourself? Isn't that no. like the thing that like Annapurna likes to do? Is that it kills you and then it chews you up and then it spits you out like months later? Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, next slide, please. This is this is my favorite slide because I get to talk about medical stuff. I really like that for some reason, uh, even though I have no interest in a medical career. So we mentioned the death zone. Your brain doesn't like you going up that high. Um, this is all sort of variant symptoms of AMS, acute mountain sickness, um, which sometimes you just go to base camp and your body doesn't like it and you can't climb the mountain and you might die anyway. Um, and in its sort of like most serious forms, AMS takes takes sort of three manifestations. Uh, there's haste, hape, and hafe, uh, which I always really enjoy. Haste is a high-altitude cerebral edema, which is your brain goes bad. Uh, hape is a high-altitude uh, pneumonal edema, which is your lungs go bad. And then hafe <laughs> is high-altitude flatulence expulsion, which is you get the farts. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are all like genuine like recognized symptoms. Two of them can kill you like instantly, stone dead, and the third one is like you get farts. Um, yeah. So uh, th th this is all to do with like uh, localized hypoxia, um, as is frostbite, which we'll also talk about. Um, but essentially, this this like uh, air pressure or lack of it is very very bad for you. And I include an image of haste induced brain herniation. Um, oh. Which is when, uh, under that lack of pressure, that the looks brain like the Batman just... symbol. Yeah. So, so if you if you see the the gap between <laughs> the 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 brain and the skull, uh, which would normally be full of like meninges and CSF. Yeah. That, I, ideally, you want your you want your brain to be air gapped. That's kind of important for yeah, you to yeah, live. Yeah. That's that's brain in there because the brain has just like yeeted itself out into the lining of the skull. Um, it's it's not good, and this does not make for good cognitive function. Um, it, yeah, apart from yeeting itself against your skull, it can also do the other thing, which is quite literally, uh, you know, increase in size and then try to escape out the uh, base of your skull. That mm. is also not good for your continued existence. Yeah, yeah. The, the the E in both of these is edema, which is swelling. Um, and essentially, what's happening is it's, it's your body is trying like fuck to oxygenate you. And it's it's going too hard, and you just rupture something. You know, you rupture a bunch of blood vessels in your lungs, uh, or your your brain swells and like you know damages itself that way. Um, and you know the 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 symptoms of these are like unmistakable, progressive, very fast in onset, and can just kill you stone dead if you are not like off the mountain immediately. Ugh. Which is where to where we get to the the evacuation bag. Um, this is oh, this is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's a relatively recent invention, I think. It's a portable hyperbaric chamber. Um, it's called a gamo bag. It's an, it, and I love this picture because it just looks like a fucking ad from the 1980s. Like I, there should be Coke, or like a Coca-Cola written on the side of this thing. It's great. I love it. <laughs> you're, you, if you're in this, you're not having a good time, is the thing. No, like, you're no, very no, much no. having a no. horrible time. But like for the ad, they can't show that. So it's just like, yeah, check this shit out. Check it out. <laughs> Having uh, a good time. Yeah, so so you need to be at a lower altitude, and it's easier to put you in a at a pressurized environment than it is to get you to a lower altitude. Um, so just put you. Yeah, this these. is especially as you get like progressively higher up from like certainly camp three onwards. Lowering someone down the loads you face and then getting them, you know, in an incapacitated state through the ice falls. You can imagine what it would be like to try to do that. You got to think they should just be able to roll it down. You know, it's a cylinder. I think that's the <laughs> yeah, best way to like do it. Yeah, and then you like curve off to the side and like mm -hmm. go down like uh, you know an eight thousand meter drop. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what they basically do is they just like they fully stick you in there, 
Um, and then they fill the, the, the chamber with oxygen so it simulates lower altitude and hopefully that reduces the swelling in your brain and then, you know, uh, you can get down, fingers crossed, uh, on, on, on your own two feet. Um, but what they have also done in the past um, is, like, they've taken people who are stuck inside these bags and, like, with ropes, lowered them down the Lotsi face back to Camp 2, which you've you got to imagine this. that's got to be quite the the, the, the trip. Because uh, the I other thing... I've seen these we... things slung underneath helicopters. Like, yeah. wild. <laughs> Trying to imagine having Coming a... through, big bag of oxygen with a guy inside. Sacko, dude! You're inside having a bad time, but and then this is another problem for rescues with or without this bag. You're having a bad time in a way that may be non-cooperative. Right, because particularly with haste, uh, you know, symptoms of uh, well, any kind of neurological symptoms can often include confusion, aggression, uh, panic, all things which are not conducive to being helped off a mountain, and much sure. less so <laughs> when you're inside a big back. <laughs> yeah. What they could do, I'm thinking of two ways you could do it, is you could have a big slide off the side of the mountain, you just sort of <laughs> shove the <them laughs> over, you know. One of those airline slides, just whoosh! The other <laughs> thing is, if you had like more of a solid thing, is you could have a cannon, right? And then have a parachute okay. attached right. to it. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm, always here, I'm always down to hear about cannons. My, yeah. my, my mood here is extremely high altitude helicopter that just blows a shitload of other people off the mountain in the course of rescue. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I think we should do is build that Korg railway and then get like, uh, what's the German railway gun again? The Grosse Berta? And then just move oh, that up there. And we can just, <laughs> we can just like, shoot people into Tibet. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the other thing that you have to to do in this bag is you see uh, the you know the Coca Cola woman's doing it with her right foot. Is obviously while you're inside the bag, you're still um, breathing, and otherwise you get carbon monoxide poisoning. So they have to like hand pump with like one of those pumps that you would use to do like foot pumps that you would use for like a little inflatable raft if you're going down a river or something. Uh, and you have to like foot pump twenty times a minute. Um, at like 8,000 meters in altitude to keep your friend alive. Because if you stop pumping, they also die inside the bag. So cool. This is another thing that would be solved by building the cog railway is you could get some electricity up there. <laughs> also, if you, if you do tend to get in the bag and then survive it, uh, people do tend to like vomit a lot inside the bag. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be very pleasant by the time you get out. Hmm. And bear in mind, they're not buying a new bag after each use. You know, you're no, lucky about no, hosing no. it out. They ain't hosing it out. Let's all be honest with each other. Speaking of speaking of hypoxic tissue injuries, if we go to the next slide, very briefly, I apologize in advance if you're grossed out by stuff. Close your eyes for a bit. Uh, yeah, so we got to talk about frostbite. Uh, frostbite is not generally like a, it's not a proximate cause of death, but it's pretty fucking nasty. Uh, this oh, yeah. is the least worst picture I could find. Um, yeah. I commend yeah. you on the effort of finding a picture that is not a zillion times worse than this. I, I wanted one that didn't have any like visible necrosis in it. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is this is very Thanks early stage frostbite, uh, and this is a matter of seconds between this and the like really bad kind. Um, so any exposed tissue at like uh, at high altitude uh, is exposed to a lot of cold, of course, because of the both the temperature and the wind. Um, and because your body is like trying really hard to oxygenate you, um, and so you, you get these hypoxic tissue injuries uh, most often in the extremities, right? Um, and particularly in the hands, particularly in the feet, and particularly in the face. Uh, you like there's a wild number of professional mountaineers who have just like lost their noses because it's one of the first things to go because wow. you have yeah. like 
you might not have you have goggles on that protect your eyes and you might have like you know a scarf or a mask or something that protects your mouth but like your nose is like more exposed and it might just die um and yeah it, it swells up it blisters like this and then you get necrosis which is when the tissue dies from lack of oxygen turns black and eventually it falls off like and once that's set in there's nothing you can do about no, it no once it uh, once yeah. it's black you are fucked you are losing it yeah, there's a lot of like it's a lot of self amputation. There's a lot of like uh, sort of surgical amputation. When I read Annapurna, one of the things I was struck by was like not knowing anything about how to treat frostbite or prevent frostbite. When they started getting frostbite, one of the things they did to try and restore blood flow was just start whipping each other. What? <laughs> you, you can drive I mean, elaborate daddy, rituals but... to, to to whip other men halfway up a mountain. No, but like uh, I, I mean, I I understand the thought process behind it but this of course makes it much worse because yeah. like you know bruised skin uh you know he was the thought process of just guys being dudes and you know i think that's fine yeah. and you know yeah. yeah um but yeah so obviously if, if you get this particularly if you get it in the, in the hands and the feet it makes it almost impossible to walk uh or or hold tools or like a rope uh which you know it leads to you having a very very bad time do not lose your gloves Bring a spare pair of gloves. Next slide, please. And yeah. if you're sorry, if before you're we move off this one, oh please, for yeah. like a for like a uh, what are the the signs of like severe like frostbite, uh, like uh, uh, hypothermia? I mean, is like the the reverse sensation is that your body feels like it's burning up. So you yeah, do find people yeah. who have like right, right. Uh, hypothermia and they are like half naked and have taken gloves off because they think they're burning up. So you know, that's fun. Also, don't what, get hypothermia. What 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 you can do to the human body. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, if we go to the if we go to the next slide, uh, and everyone who has body horror from frostbite, it, I I'm really proud of the visual fucking joke. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, sometimes I almost so, ruined yeah. it for you. I'm so yeah, sorry. It's, it's right. So so you know how I said your eyes are mostly protected. Well, what if they're not? Right. Um. Sometimes being on the mountain, sometimes the mountain just blinds you whenever it feels like it. See attached image. Um. Uh, so. If you're if you're yeah, looking at what it, what one thing is that I changed the background to black when we do the actual slideshow. So works. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So imagine imagine this is white. I, I I thought it worked either way. Uh, also, yeah. Uh, so I think with snowblind, you see red anyway. Um, because you look at the inside of your own blood vessels. Um, yeah. So uh, snow, very 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 white, very reflective. Um, and you know you, you're closer to the sun. There's a lot more UV radiation, which is just bouncing straight off the snow. And you know, if you're ever looking at the sky out of that, uh, directly into your eyes. Um, if you don't have goggles that are protected against UV, then you will just experience snow blindness. You'll just like not be able to see anymore. Um, yeah. Which is apart from. Not being able to see at like further advanced stage of snow blindness, it can feel like you are constantly having sand in your eyes, mm. uh, which must feel delightful. Uh, or you can literally no longer open them; they they just shut. Um, and once again, so, you know, much much like the uh, the pressure bag, um, try rescuing someone who's slow blind when you yourself already fatigued and disoriented, maybe from subantic Everest, and then taking them, you know, by the gloved hand, pray to God, uh, and then leading them off the mountain without them teetering mm. off the side, because uh, they can't and, see shit. Yeah, so and it's like if, a... if, if, 
It's like uh, when I accidentally touched my eyes after handling a Carolina Reaper two days sure. ago. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the dumbass. The, the co-op is the dumbass for not stocking any other kind of pepper. You're right. <laughs> okay, okay, okay if you, if like, It's fine. I, I have my like expensive goggles. You know, I'm not going to lose them. I brought an extra pair of goggles. I'm not going to go blind on Mount Everest. Wrong. <clears throat> you can just do this anyway because another, another low pressure injury. You can get retinal hemorrhages. Oh. Uh, which, uh, much as they sound like, uh, you know, it, the, the, it's really bad for your blood vessels, and you need those. Um, and if you have a, a blood vessel in your retina uh, that's like supplying your eye with blood, um, uh, like ruptures, you, you know, you don't see anything potentially. Uh, you just see. I'm like, just thinking own... about that that really weird Silicon Valley guy with the blood boy. Like, would he bring his blood boy up there yeah, and just like he yank Good his retinas out? The yeah. thing is, it's not the blood; it's the blood vessels. You know, you would need to ah. do some some interesting sort of like transplant surgery. Um, but yeah, no. So you can, you can just go blind out of nowhere. Um, there was a guy who died doing exactly this because he summited, and then on the descent was like blinded instantly because I guess God picked him out and was like, "Nope, not this one." No, nope. uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, d- uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, died on the mountain. Not sufficiently uh, virtuous. Yeah. Uh, Next slide, please. Uh, so, in, by way of closing, like, how do you avoid all this stuff? How do we climb Everest as reliably as we do, even though it's a dangerous enterprise? Um, my short answer is uh, oil. We, oil. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oil. Petrochemicals. We, yeah, petrochemicals, yep. plastics. Um, because now we have waterproof insulating clothes as opposed to wool that gets soaked. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have Gore-Tex, which is an incredibly unpleasant manufacturing process and also very hard to recycle or impossible, I think. Oh, totally unsustainable, still. yeah. yeah. Um, but tell you what, keeps you keeps you warm and dry. Um, you, you have, like, stronger ice axes, stronger crampons. A lot of the old guys, you saw them just use, like, a fucking alpenstock, just, a, like, yeah. a wood pole. Um, which is just, fucking just, boss, just... like a wood pole with, like, a, 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 a metal and aluminium, like pick on it it like boss that you do that but also incredibly heavy by the way and also mm. one of those things um it, it, you know because we were talking a little bit early about like don't fall like most people if not everybody has like their ice axe like attached with a sling um to their hands because if you drop it you are in real big big trouble uh but if you slip and you, you start falling and then you drop your ice axe all of a sudden uh, your ice axe is like wildly flailing about uh, the mountain and maybe hitting you uh, whilst you you know, shoot down the mountain. Very, so very sharp. There is that. Yeah. yeah. As are crampons, uh, which are also very pointy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, portable oxygen, the single biggest thing, if I had to, if I had to point to anything, it was the kind of thing oh, yeah. that when it was first developed, mountaineers thought it was cheating because people's ascent rates, you know, went up by a factor of 10. Um, it's, it's ridiculous how much having access to like pure oxygen makes you better at climbing. Um, again, the limiting factor is like you got to carry it up there, or someone has to carry it up there. But it, it makes all of this stuff possible. Um, you have better goggles. All of this stuff's lighter, so you can carry it more easily. Um, also, this is this is a strange detail, but I picked this up from a lot of mountaineering memoirs. The one thing that like mountaineers in particular I've noticed sight uh, as the like the difference uh, b- that made this kind of like golden age of mountaineering possible isn't oxygen it's uh rubber soles for boots wow. like vi- yeah. vibram soles the grip is yeah, so incredible. so much it's better incredible. yeah wild. It, it, i have a couple of sets of boots with vibram uh on it and like it is truly ridiculously awesome stuff like that yeah the grip and the staying power and like it's not indestructible but it takes like it takes a real beating Quite before a it wears and tears it is 
pretty spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it's even when it's frozen. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, it's 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 wild. Um, all right, so that's 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 how we do it. But you know, sometimes the answer to how do you how do you conquer all this stuff is you don't. You just die. Uh, and with that in mind, and you deserve it. Our final presentation. Uh, next slide, please. Why yeah. you died? Wait, you did die. Congratulations! 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 You're dead. Yeah. Was actually yeah. it used to say "Way is the mountain did kill you land." <laughs> God, yeah. So, 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 so you you have stepped. I, off. I really appreciate Roz that you just your willingness to stick to a bit, oh, yeah. even even in the face of overwhelming displeasure and hatred. Love you so yes. much, man. Uh, so, so yeah, you, you you have stepped off the Hillary step, and uh, God is now giving you this presentation. With a with like a, a stick, right? So, uh, next slide, please. Um, obviously, people have been dying on Everest since you know, 1924 at the earliest. But uh, I thought a good place to start would be 1996 because it was like it changed a lot of the culture around mountaineering. Yeah, it was also the one where the broader public sort of went, "Whoa, what are people doing up there?" Mm. And it was also after the advent of, um, like we said, like uh, this was a couple, this was about a decade uh, after Dick Bass and the. Advent of expensive uh, adventure tourism. Um, so what you get uh, is the 1996 uh, disaster. Uh, John Krakow wrote a very, very famous book called Into Thin Air about it. Um, although, as his companion, you should probably also read if you want to, Anatoly Bukhriv's The Climb, because there is certainly, let me put it mildly, some dispute over what exactly yeah. went on. And Climbers went love to put to put out like dueling books. Uh, Annapurna yeah. and True Summit, Into Thin Air and The Climb. Uh, there's like dozens of these. Yeah. Uh, later on, um, uh, the, the 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 two mega Austrians uh, or Messer and Hadler uh, also fell out and uh, did did dueling books. Uh, yeah, this so. is this is where mountaineers <laughs> litigate stuff is is in in books. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So a total of eight climbers die in a window of about twenty four hours. Uh, the whole thing was ba- later made into the movie Everest, which is surprisingly okay and quite good. If you know, wildly harrowing, um, you know. And then, and not you know, it maybe in that sense not you know uh, a Valentine uh, treat. Um, anyway, so what happens in 1996? This is in the sort of early days of commercial climbing. Uh, two teams uh, called uh, one expedition called Adventure Consultants, the other one called Mountain Madness. Great name, by the way. I, I, um, I would not go I'm, with I'm, fucking I'm, Joker expedition. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say we've got on one hand we have uh, Mountain Madness, which is full of madmen who are going to do stupid things, and on the other hand we have Adventure Consultants who are like a McKinsey operation. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, where's that? Flash up that picture of uh, Pete Butchug at a uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, they both go up on May tenth, and by May eleventh, it is a total shit show. Um, this is partly because there's considerable rivalry between the established, sort of well-known uh, operation team called Adventure Consultants, and also the brand new team. Um, Mountain Madness, Mount, but Mountain both. Madness, yeah. yeah they yeah, really were yeah. mad. Kills you instantly, yeah. expeditions. <laughs> you will die, um, led, incorporated. <laughs> led, Mountain Madness was then led by a very, very experienced um, American mountaineer called Scott Fisher. Um, but the basic, one of the underlying problems of all this is both teams n- need to make the money for the season and they need to um, uh, make a name for themselves for the future season. So both of them have a strong commercial imperative to get all their clients up and back down uh, 
so they in the next next year's brochures can you know say hey we got everybody up and down um and but in terms of you know like we said there's a difference between the two uh and mountain madness had taken on a number of clients that maybe ought not to have been there uh noted that none of their clients had experience of being over eight thousand meters in the first place this is now not unusual, which no, is not you know a sign of how much worse things have gotten. Uh, yeah, basically, like what happens in terms of the actual practicalities, it is um, a series of small errors that lead to terrible, terrible outcomes for uh, eight people, um, including a number of fixed ropes that were supposed to have been set up by the Sherpas but weren't, uh, which includes an hour-long wait at the base of the Hillary Step uh, while the Sherpas put one up anyway. Uh, you can imagine, you know, that that kind of throws your timing off. Um, basically, what happens is there's a series of much further delays, which means that everybody gets to the summit, um, apart from a few who turn around and say, I'm not feeling this. This is not going well. I'm, I'm, I'm booking it. Um, everybody else makes it to the summit, but they make it down late. Uh, much uh, Basically, the cutoff time to get to the summit is about 2 p.m. I think they were still summiting at 3.30. Those are not windows you can have at this altitude uh, at this time. Um, and I, it is. I have a question um, regarding like having experience over eight thousand meters. Is there like a like an easy eight thousand meter mountain you can climb so you get that experience beforehand? No, absolutely not. No, I mean this is the thing. There are mountains that are uh, like that don't have the Everest experience. Like you can climb like Aconcagua or like Denali um, and and get acclimated that way, but you have to be a mountaineer to do that. So. You know, yeah. if you don't want to like, do that, a, a lot of people tr tr like prepare for this stuff much lower down, but they either do technically much more demanding things, which like sort of creates a series of sort of physical automated reactions that you don't have if you are just a client of all these companies, um, or you spend more time at altitude and you have more time to acclimatize, and you have a you simply have a body that does that. Some people's bodies don't react or don't react well. Others, what others do? That's kind of a genetics, you know coin flip kind of thing um so yeah the it is at this point after people start coming down um much later than planned uh, that the weather takes a turn for the decidedly much worse and um in the middle of the afternoon and into the evening a full-blown um blizzard um strikes up with uh snow pelts of more than 70 miles an hour hitting you in the face uh basically yeah which is like we know yeah no. uh, apart from you know uh, being hit in the face at 70 miles an hour um one of the expedition leaders i believe this was scott fisher uh, started to suffer from either hape or haste or both and was and maybe even hafe no clue on the yeah. farts yeah yeah Jesus. <laughs> um but basically he was no longer mentally and mostly not cap physically not capable anymore to do anything because his brain was being scrambled. Um, the other thing that happens, of course, in um, a high-speed blizzard is that the fixed lines get buried in mounds of new snow, which means you can't clip from one rope into the other very easily. Um, the visibility, of course, goes to shit. And critically as well, um, the existing trail that everybody had stomped out next to the, the guiding lines got wiped out as well. So now you don't know where the guideline is. You can't see... And the trail is gone, and your mountain leader is either already dead or like non-responsive. Basically, um, so the end result is we won't go into too much detail, but it is incredibly unpleasant. Um, eight people die, six people die of exposure on the mountain. 
Two, we think, die from falling off the mountain. I mean, their oh. bodies have never been found, so we don't know. Um, and it is just a, a, a horrendous day all around uh, on, on Everest. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's, many it's people... It's worse on the next one, though. Yeah. Many, many people learn lessons from this. Sensible lessons. Next slide. Please. 2014. Yeah. So uh, we've had an intervening few years of like Everest being a machine, being an industry that works very well. And that industry depends on sending Sherpas on these like positioning routes through the Kumbu Icefall to move all the shit. Um, and this is a very dangerous thing. Everyone knows it's dangerous. That's why we make Sherpas do it. Uh, and then, uh, well, inevitably, um, uh, this is this is what happens. Yeah. Um, this is the um, yeah. I mean, you can see it on the slide. It's it's fairly self-explanatory. Um, a very large uh, block of rock uh, detaches from um, the the hanging glacier above. Uh, the estimates are that it's about thirty-five meters thick uh, and about weighs about thirty-two million tons. Um, and it breaks off and it falls pretty much dead on top of the Sherpa teams, creating the route through the icefall, um, killing sixteen in total. Yeah. Huge just kit, like hits yeah. a bunch of them, an avalanche hits like a couple more. I think. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it, it, it. They were they were in the field. They were making the route, but they were also very slow because they were carrying tents and stoves and other things needed to pre-stock the higher camps for the commercial season. Um, it 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 was you know a a disastrous loss of life. A you know a, it's hard to talk about in in sort of a facile vein. Um, and for their work while, you know, dying, basically, uh, each of these Sherpa earned about hundred $125 a day while doing this very difficult, very expertise work, um, right. $125 a day. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. by like Nepalese standards, being a Sherpa is like a well-paying job, but that's kind of the problem is that they're being paid well by Nepalese standards to do a job that like people are also paid very well by American standards to do. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. like no no American professional climber would ever accept, you know, the sort of that little money right. to, to do the same thing. I think the minimum legal standard for like a Swiss mountain guide is like six hundred francs a day, and that's for easy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um and that's excluding like food and lodging and stuff that you also contribute to if you hire a Swiss mountain guide. So, you know, just just to give you an indication of the difference. Um each of the families did get after Big protests and things that happened afterwards. Uh, I have about, some thoughts about those on the next slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, and in the uh, well, we'll just get to the next slide. Um, and also, just as a side note, um, this icefall gets more dangerous every single year because of climate change. Um, cool. That makes yeah. this wow. more unstable and more unpredictable with every season and every year. Mm. So, I'd, uh, it's at this point, I'd like to recommend a, a fairly searing documentary that's just called Sherpa. Um, that yeah. was was following this climbing season, um, and speaks to the sort of like immense racism uh, with which these people are, are treated in in their workplace. Because um, after you know over a dozen of of their friends and their colleagues had been had been killed, um, you know expedition companies continue to try and push uh, them to work, and this ultimately led to to a strike by Sherpas, which like ended up uh, like. Uh, ending that year's season, uh, which it wasn't yeah. even intended to do. All they wanted was a pause. Um, and if you watch the documentary, the the expedition uh, organizers, uh, in particular Russell Bryce from Hymax, is a massive piece of shit. Um, it, uh, like, alternately try and like cajole and threaten 
and lie and bully these people into into going back to work. Um, it's intimately familiar for like from any anyone who's ever been in like a strike or a labor dispute. It's absolutely familiar boss behavior, but it's happening at like you know six thousand meters. Um, yeah. And and what's really striking about it too is you you see the clients um, who are you know sitting in their like very nice tents uh, complaining. Yeah. Um, yeah, because there's like I think at, at this point there's between like four and six hundred like clients who have paid to do this, and they're mm. just sitting in their tents and they're waiting. And of course, you know, the orthodontist from Ohio it doesn't want to wait. Yeah, and th- this is another thing with like weather windows as well. Is um, there are a lot of a lot of especially the cheaper expedition companies kind of make their money by people not climbing Everest um, because it's people who like aren't able to do it or are forced back or don't have the weather window who still end up paying for like the next year when they can do. Um, but there are companies, especially on the more expensive end, that will, you know, sort of purport to, you know, guarantee you the best possible chance. And people tend to read that as like, I will absolutely go up Everest this year. I will, you know, you know, uh, I've paid this money. I'm not going to have to like pay it again next yeah. year to G- come back. Give me my goddamn high altitude treat. Roughly speaking, exactly, exactly. I, d- um, I do like the idea of the Sherpa foreman saying uh, "down tools" and uh, they just leave everyone in camp. Footage, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, that's that's basically yeah. what happened, and it, it, things got genuinely very, very heated. Um, I mean, there have been sort of like there's been ill feeling before, and one of the things that's most infuriating about the movie is the kind of like the fetish that the guys like Bryce make out of the kind of like good relations that they have with the Sherpas, which is sort of a cultural misunderstanding where, you know, Sherpa people are willing to like be polite to you and smile at you and, and sort of like be deferential uh, to a point. Um, there, there was one thing where like two Austrian climbers nearly started a riot at base camp um, because because of some cultural norms. Like, uh, you know, one of them had like gotten into, into an altercation with a Sherpa and he called him a son of a bitch. And that's like, you know, not that offensive in English, but it's like a sort of mortal insult. Um, and, and, you know, it very nearly ended up with like people threatening each other with ice axes and stuff. Um, so yeah. And ultimately what, what happened is that this, this, you know, uh, killed the season for the year as well. It might've done, but they, they sent the, you know, uh, Nepalese minister of tourism out, um, and the Nepalese government, you know, has too much money in tourism and ultimately, you know, said, go back to work. And it's still, this is still simmering, you know, uh, years later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there have been altercations since um, a couple of years ago um, with fistfights about people saying things and going up fixed lines when they were not yet supposed to. It's still very fraught. And obviously, these Sherpas who are doing this incredibly dangerous, highly skilled work up the mountain, you know, have what I think is very good, sort of an increasing sense of their own dignity and value, and then just mm. no longer want to want to just take anything and everything thrown at them, which which I think is you know more than good. For that, yeah, right. absolutely, more than overdue. Uh, if we go to the next slide, yeah, yeah, twenty fifteen, which is like a much Jesus wider Christ. tragedy. Uh, that this is, uh, it could be an episode on its own. Um, so, so yeah, so so Nepal got hit with a massive, massive earthquake in twenty fifteen. Uh, which yeah, it's abs- like an eight point seven or something. It's like yeah, it was crazy. Wild. Yeah. Uh, absolutely devastated the whole country, uh, and I mean, like places where it took like weeks to get like anything like res- rescue in because it's like in you know very remote valleys that are now even harder to get to. Um, this also did affect Everest directly though, um, because a couple of avalanches just swept through base camp um, and 
yeah, just took out like a bunch of people, killed like twenty two people, I think. Um, I, I I think the first one like took out the medical tent even. So uh, you had yeah. people trying to sort of like do first aid on like the side of a mountain at already very high altitudes, covered in uh, you know, presumably turds because this being base camp. Um, yeah. It's just it's 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 real bad. Um, yeah, and the it also uh, yeah it also in you know referencing a couple of slides ago um, removed the Hillary step because that's now fundamentally different. Which in a weird like side plot to this whole thing, for like a couple of years, the Nepalese Ministry of Tourism tried to deny that the earthquake had like shifted the Hillary step because it's so iconic that they thought if it wasn't there anymore, less people would come. Yeah, I mean the the whole the whole economy is like absolutely dependent on on this one mountain, which is not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and on the idea that the mountain will never change and will always be climbable as, you know, first of all, as the glacier retreats more and more and more of the convoy ice yeah. will melt. Uh, this is kind of a prefiguring thing, which is that ultimately Everest Base Camp is going to have to be abandoned. Like, it, it cannot continue to be used past a certain point because it just will no longer be safe. Um, yeah. What that means for climbing the mountain, I've, I don't know. I mean, they'll recite it somewhere, but like, it, yeah. Uh, the frequency of reciting and the placing and it will all change and none of it will be for the good. And it will contribute, you know, as we always do, to killing the very things we pretend to love. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the thing that drives me particularly insane about this is that after uh, the earthquake had you know, killed 22 people on Everest and like thousands in Nepal, uh, in pretty much immediately, uh, clients started like pushing for their their ability to climb anyway. Um, cool. And then the next the next expedition went up four days afterwards. Um, which yeah, just you want to talk about like walking past dead bodies? It's not necessarily like you know sort of stumbling past someone in the death zone. It's this. Yeah, it's it's literally turning your back on the ruins of base camp and saying, "Well, we're off to have our adventure now because we paid for it." It is an exceeding inhumanity that would let you do that um and yeah not not a good sign and fortunately we didn't learn anything uh next slide please yes this is 2019 um it's a good day to be on everest as you can tell uh you see the guy in the yeah. foreground sitting down because there's a queue now um it's i think you can just see the hillary step um on that little just below that little snowfield in the sun on the left-hand side of the ridge. Um, Over here. But yeah, this this is 2019. Uh, it was, you know, I hate to be the bearer of surprising news, but it was very overcrowded uh, that day. Um, it, 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 this wasn't one single thing like avalanche or a weather front moving in. Um, but basically, this is the tragedy of, of overcrowding. Uh, that year, 381 permits have been issued, which was the highest ever number on record. Uh, but of course, you have to remember that they, each of these people have to has, has to have a Sherpa with them as per the law. So more like 800 and some odd people in reality are going up the mountain. Uh, this is partly, partially driven by a new influx. Uh, money from India and China now wants to get up there. This is no longer the, the white man's uh, thing. It's uh, the new money wants to get in on the action, have the same bragging rights at the same god-awful Davos conference centers. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, on the day itself, because this was a quite a small good weather window after a long session of sitting still, basically, uh, this is about 200 people trying to make the... Um, the summit, which is madness, is you. You look at that and you think. I mean, this is this is this. 
apart from a desecration of a mountain and a sport and uh, uh, you know I don't know what people what this is anymore um, because it is it was so long um, some people spent between 10 and 12 hours making the summit most what? of them spent like this waiting <laughs> yeah. you're just, you're uh, just queuing yeah yeah. Queuing, um, and then another four to six going down back to camp four uh, again in the same queue because there's one set of fixed lines and you can't just pass each other. Uh, this also meant that like nobody had enough oxygen for that, so that meant that the Sherpas had to like turn down your oxygen flow to like a bare minimum to keep you alive, but maybe not making good decisions, or some of them because of the prevailing attitudes and the way these people are treated, uh, ended up giving up their own oxygen supplies to people who were um, dead or dying up there. It It is an immense human tragedy that killed a whole bunch of people for absolutely no good reason. Um, and it's only possible because the Nepalese government cannot say no to the hard currency that this brings in. Nepal is, is dirt poor. And because it's Nepal, nobody gave a shit after the earthquake. And we've just kind of left them to to sit alone in the rubble um as the west is wont to do when something else happens online um mm. yeah it's 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 a desecration of something that should be a monument to human achievement and it makes me want to throw up there's there's a thing uh that's i i think one of the bleakest things from from sherpa was that um so it's a it's a sherpa sort of like religious observance to before climbing the mountain you ask the mountain for permission to climb it right uh, which is, you know, I think it's a nice thing, if nothing else. Uh, and this is now part of the tourist experience. It's sort of a spectacle. Um, because, you know, if, if people are able to climb and they're told that it's safe to climb, then they will. Um, and increasingly, you see this with uh, people who... There was this woman, uh, a Canadian woman from Toronto, called uh, Shreya Shah-Clawfin. Um, she died on Everest climbing it, and no climbing experience whatsoever. Uh, like catastrophically irresponsible to accept her as a client. She had to be taught how to use crampons, like at base camp. Yeah, oh, just no. yeah. That's that's a yeah. common story. People needing to learn how to wield an ice axe, how to put on crampons, how to put on their gear, how it works, what a jumar is, like stuff that I don't know. Like I know how to put on my crampons. I know how to do basic stuff with an ice axe. I wouldn't come within a thousand fucking miles of Everest, apart yeah, from this the to, fucking cues yeah. and this disgusting shit. But you know. for, for this to be the first mountain that you climb is like and the last hubris. Well, yeah, also yeah, yes, yeah, yeah and um, the last. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily the most important thing here in terms of what we're desecrating. But I think mountaineering as as a sport, as a discipline, you know, um, as insane as you know various German Austrian men are. Um, they they may have had a point that like once it was proven that it was physically possible to climb Everest without oxygen, that it should only be climbed without oxygen, because you know if nothing else, you wouldn't leave so many oxygen canisters up there. But also, it would still be sort of like a, a technical physical challenge. That- it would be an, an immense test of your technical and physical skills. You like this woman with no experience. Wouldn't even get to base camp. No mm. way. No way on God's earth. Yeah. Like it, 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 it. Yeah. It's it's wild. And the thing is, this is spilling over to other mountains too. Like it, it used to be uh, a point at which, like, um, you know, you could you could still do this kind of like extreme mountaineering on Annapurna or on K two um, or on Kanchenjunga, and you know, it was it was less sort of touristic. And that's still true. People are people are sort of like most interested in Everest, but like it's it's spilling over as well. And as more people 
go and summit Everest, it kind of devalues its currency at Davos or whatever. And so now increasingly you see people whose yeah, idea K2. of extreme tourism is they want to do K2 or they want to do like multiple summits. Uh, and they want to say that they, you know, they did, you know, all of the 8,000 meter peaks, uh, you know, and you well, get some- do something exotic. Like I'm going to be the first person to bring my cat to the top of Everest. Yeah, genuine, that, Can you imagine some... Toby on that shit? <laughs> yeah. That was a, Hmm. It's th- th- there was I, I did put it in the notes. I'm trying to remember if it was produced by the Discovery Channel. I think it was, or some some American company. They they did like um, it was like a sort of a documentary series season. I don't know, not a competition thing, but they were like, um, it was they were they had eight climbers attempting Everest, and they all had like various disabilities. So there's hmm. one guy with one leg, one I think a woman who was blind, and, and you know like. I'm not saying uh, that if you are disabled or differently abled that you cannot do things at the extremes of human potential. But what, like, I watched one half of an episode. And I was just like, but, you know, there are brilliant climbers who are differently abled or who are missing limbs or what, or who, are, who can't see or anything. But they have done that for years and years. And they don't do this as like a vehicle to get their Instagram to blow up. And yeah, it's... <sighs> The relationship of, of of Everest to disability is a really interesting one because, I, I, again, I think just as you say, like yeah, there's a lot of times when it's it's like absolutely laudable, uh, but equally, I think you know, disabled or not, there's this kind of like real disease of record breaking. Right. Where yes. if, as, if you're as seeking to, uh, understanding the yeah. sanctity of it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're like seeking it for yourself, or you're using it to like you know prove y- you or your community's determination to something. And it gets really, really tenuous at times. It's like to be like I'm I'm the 27th left-handed person to climb Everest or whatever. And it's like I I I don't have any interest. Like I'm sure there's already been a first trans person to climb Everest, right? But like, I would have no interest because, like, what does that have to do with with us? You know, it doesn't say anything other than the kind of like vague platitudes about like determination and like strength and stuff. And you know, it's like the old joke: Everest is like littered with the corpses of extremely determined people. Um, yes, it's, it's there are there are ethics here and there are ethical concerns that. Uh, you know, I, I think you can be absolutely reductive about it at the end of the day and be like, well, don't fucking go. And I think you'll be onto something more than the person yeah. who is sort of like, you know, seeking to to raise a bunch of money to stand up to cancer or whatever on top of a mountain. To, to, yeah, to raise awareness or something gross like that. Like, yeah, just, right. just yeah. don't, you know, and also if nothing else, you know, you and your dumbass, you know, wanting to be the, the 28th left-handed person on Everest might die up there, but, you know, Chances are not unreasonable that you'll take a bunch of Sherpas with you. Mm. You know, fuck no one you. deserves yeah. to die for your stupidity. Only you deserve to die for your stupidity. <laughs> yeah, and you do deserve. Oh, one hundred percent. Let's be very clear on that. <laughs> yeah, and to think we could have avoided all of this by building the cog railway. If we had simply built the cog <laughs> railway, at least up to Camp Four, this is not like an insurmountable I'm, engineering I challenge. I do love the idea of Roz like single-handedly, but not letting anyone on except the Sherpa. No, that's what I'm imagining when the Sherpa's down tools and they leave all the rich people at Camp 3 and they take the secret escalator down. <laughs> 
Come on, come on, everybody aboard. Let's go, let's go. We are, we are, no dwell time. No dwell time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just capitalism, really. And I, I, I guess capitalism and egotism, you know, two things hand in hand. It's, if you have, like, any kind of, like, passion, you know, especially in outdoors ones, come for that, too. You know, uh, whatever it is. You know, you look at, like, rich people, uh, like, imploding themselves and also, like, a Titanic historian of some repute trying to look at the Titanic, and it's like, no, this this money poisons everything it touches. Yeah. Um, you know, and and um, if you want to just go up a mountain, you know what you can do? You can go to Switzerland. You could take a cog railway <laughs> pretty far you, up. You could have a, a pretty decent meal at the James yeah. Bond-themed restaurant. <laughs> yes! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you, yeah, you can go yeah, way you, up you, a mountain, you, and then you meet a cow. Um, <laughs> you're just like, how did you get here? Yeah, just says, go, go, up, go up the Jungfraujoch and yep. fucking don't leave Everest yeah. alone, you know? Yeah. Until we build the Everest Cog Railway. Speaking as someone who really does love these mountains here in Switzerland and like thinks they're very beautiful, can I suggest that you only go up the Jungfraujoch and you all stay there and don't bother me when I'm doing something <laughs> where I want to be left alone and not have a million I, jackasses with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I, I have Everyone been Everyone go hang out with Rob. I apologize. Rob yeah. cannot wait to <laughs> greet you. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. But like, just, just that one. Just, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keep, keep it, keep it there. Keep it like close to Geneva, and you know, don't. Yeah. <laughs> leave, leave all the normal people to like go climb like unsurveyed peaks in the Oberunter Hinterovergurgel or whatever. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope yeah. you have enjoyed this, you know, trip through capitalism and also Everest. Yeah. Thanks yes. so much. Thank you. Um, yeah. This was good. Yeah. Um, subscribe to our Patreon so we can uh, build the cog railway. But yeah. first, we have yeah, to yeah. do a segment on this podcast called Safety Third. Shake hands with danger. Oh, and also listen to podcasting against practice before we do oh, Safety yes. Third. Yeah. Now, yeah. Safety Third. Safety Third. Yeah. Please, please do that. Hello, Alice Roz Yaliam, X or guest. You did it. So, you got yeah, it. So actually, like, only, only, <laughs> only, only hello to Rob. How did they know <laughs> my name? My name is indeed Zor. <laughs> you passed, but barely. Oh, been there. This story comes from a construction site in Vermont. <laughs> oh, no. Shortly after the turn of the millennium, building a new recreation center at a ski resort. Ooh, hey. more snow today. Yeah. Hey. Topical, topical. I was a dumb young high Dramatic. schooler, and the company was run by the father of a friend, so it was an easy way to land the job and make enough money to pay for a gaming computer for myself. I don't do things it. we do for gaming computers. Yeah, yes. like record this podcast. My ass <laughs> is falling asleep. <laughs> On a big job like this, you would have lots of specialized contractor teams, each of whom has a specialized niche that they fulfill. I was on the air sealing and installation crew. Cool. We would air seal all of the cracks and seams between the outside wall framing studs with specialized insulation foam and silicone caulk. <laughs> I like to describe my job as squeezing caulk between two studs, which was something that had the advantage of pissing all off right. my homophobic co-workers while also being completely true. Very easy to piss off a homophobic monster, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. yeah. After we were done, air sealing, other trades would come through to do wiring, plumbing, and etc. And then we'd go back through the wet spray cellulose insulation into the wall cavities where it would be then sheetrocked over. 
this was the much harder half of the job, and we were typically pulled 60 hours a week or more. The only people who would be on site longer were the Mexican sheet walk- rockers. Okay. Yes. Mexican sheet rock refers to a specific kind of nut. It's, it's, it's only if it's from the, uh, the, the Mexico region. <laughs> Haka, Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just <laughs> sparkling gypsum board. After the insulation, club of the Sons of Anarchy, (laughs) the Mexican Mexican sheet rockers. (laughs) (laughs) After the insulation was installed, a building would then have a leak test where the doors and windows would be closed and air compressors used to create a positive pressure environment and combined with smoke machines. To look for leaks. Hell yeah, hot box the ski resort. Yeah. yeah, this is where our story proper begins, <laughs> because in the new recreation center building we were helping to build for the ski mountain, it had failed the leak test in two locations. One was an exterior facing window 30 feet above what was destined to be a racquetball court, right. and the other was where the roofing trusses, see slide one, yeah, it's a roofing met, the, truss. met the corner wall of another part of the building. This was also above a racquetball court, but a different racquetball court because you need so many. What I, is the house, isn't to, it? No, it's a, it's a, it's a rec center for a ski I, resort. I, I mean, I love oh, going resort, skiing right. and then like in the evening doing a jaunty game of racquetball. That's that's yeah, a sensible thing yeah, a to be doing. A lot of people like doing that. Yeah. Oh my Weird. god. Since I have a deathly fear of heights, I declined to take the forty foot <laughs> extension ladder to go reseal the window frame. And consequently got volunteered for the roofing truss. Yeah, you deserved it. Because the new guys got the scut work. (laughs) I've never heard that word before. Now, part of the reason I brought up all that context, because usually when we were doing air sealing, was in the stage of construction where all that was there was framing two by sixes and plywood or chipboard, which is heretical trash. That meant that we could easily get into all the weird crevices and nooks, since for the most part, we could just step through the framing timbers of the walls. Uh-huh, yeah. However, this was after a leak test had failed and the building was most of the way done. You know, they had done the sheetrock, the electrical, the plumbing, the windows, and everything was already installed. What that meant in this case was that the sheetrock was also done already. So a hole had to be cut for, for me to get into the ceiling. See slide two. Don't love this already. No, yeah. no. No, I climbed up. No. I feel, climbed feel, up the ladder. Real bad already. <laughs> <laughs> I climbed up the ladder and wormed my way into the hole, cut into the sheetrock. My crude MS paint skills are making it seem larger than it actually was. The gap was only about fourteen inches across, and there was a non-trivial amount of wiring I had to negotiate. And I had to make full use of my adolescent build to get through and into the ceiling cavity. Oh, like the Saddam Hussein meme. Yes. At this stage in my life, I was skinny enough to count <laughs> ribs through a T-shirt, something which is adamantly no longer the case. Oh, yeah. Yep. With me okay, came so, my hard so hat. So basically, he's like a he's like a sheetrock chimney sweep. Yes. <laughs> With me came my hard hat, since this was a construction site, one of those shitty old flashlights like you see flickering out in horror movies, and about four cans of spray foam. Yeah, just get oh. in there and spray it around. Yeah. Huh? The horror movie time. comparison feels <laughs> apt. Since, well, there was a tiny bit of ambient light that came through the hole I had crawled into that wasn't really angled anywhere near where I needed to go and fill with foam, and it wasn't particularly bright. I won't use phrases such as Stygian abyss, (laughs) since that'd be going too far, but it should put you in the right frame of mind. I don't know what a Stygian abyss is. Uh, like the river sticks. Maybe yeah, it's not particularly abyssal. It's, it's the pit. It's the pit of hell, basically. Like it's the pit yeah. of hell. Okay, yeah. 
Air sealed in this case also meant light sealed. So it really just was just me and trusty old Mr. Flashlight. Oh, hi. I quickly started crawling through the framing truss Ooh. towards the suspect corner. This was kind of like playing on the jungle gen on a playground, except that all the bars were in the same line and the vertical clearance was rapidly approaching zero. I had been told not to walk on the sheetrock of the ceiling since doing so could easily put my foot through it and plummet me to my death 40 feet below. He's dying a racquetball court. Oh, yeah. what an embarrassing Well, it go. wasn't enough for there <laughs> merely to be the raw concrete of the racquetball court. Unlike my co-worker's court, which had been fully emptied so she could get the ladder in position to the window, mine was full of tools, toolboxes, and nice, happy, fun things like table saws and chop saws. So if I did, <laughs> if I did fall through the sheetrock, <laughs> grisly impalement on unforgiving steel tools was guaranteed rather than merely pancaking onto soft and forgiving concrete. See, see slide three. Fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, was your supervisor like the weird puppet from the Saw yeah, movies? <laughs> okay. Okay, so this is Junior Prince of Persia. Yeah. Now, something I want to clarify is that while my MS Paint drawings and the provided reference figure of a ceiling truss may seem, make it seem like there's a lot of room for crawling around, there absolutely was not. There was a low-angle roof meant to handle the snowfall, the snowfall weight of a ski resort. Justin probably knows the figures better than I do. Uh, 30 pounds per square foot. Um... <laughs> But that means it's uh, expected to handle several tons of snow and have room for safety margin. Everything was two by sixes at least, and that meant that there quickly stopped being room for me to try and reach the corner as there stopped being room between the truss timbers long before that corner was actually reached. My first attempt to get further in was to discard my hard hat as I wasn't particularly worried about falling debris since I was inside the ceiling space and this was at the end of the day after everyone except us and the sheet rockers had gone home. While discarding the hard hat did give me a few inches further clearance, it also subjected me to the occasional poke from a roofing nail sticking through, <laughs> but as long as I was careful, it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay, right. Safety defeated. Yeah. Yes. The bigger problem is Safety I still couldn't fit. get anywhere near the leaking <laughs> corner. As scrawny as I was, I wasn't scrawny enough. So that's when I did what I never should have done, and began to test the load-bearing capacity of the sheetrock. Now, for those listening at home not familiar with um, the construction trades, sheetrock is somewhere between chalk and banana bread in terms of structural integrity. Most of the actual <laughs> cohesion comes only from the paper it's sandwiched in. It would have been screwed into the same framing trusses I was walking across, and while I'm confident the screws would hold my weight, I was not confident the sheetrock would. Do not ever do what I did in the story. It's a miracle I'm still alive. Regardless of the insane risk, the sheetrock somehow held and I made sure, as well as I could, to spread oh my, my weight God. out in what little room there was between the two trusses closest to the wall, squirmed out on my belly towards the leaking corner. The fit was so tight I couldn't actually look at the corner. Had had my hand, I had my arm at full extension to shoot the foam gun and also point my flashlight in the corner at the same time. So I had to play kind of a juggling act of wiggling my arm into the extension pushing myself as far into the corner as I could, spraying a bunch of foam, backing up to the point where gaps existed once more in the trusses adjacent to me so I could move my arms again, maneuver my flashlight into position so I can illuminate the corner, adjust my head so I could see the corner, see that there was still areas not yet coated in foam, and then repeat that process. To no, basically, no, roof you. truss. I quit. I quit. Yeah, roof, roof truss spelunking. No. Oh, I, yeah. I cut myself through the beneath yeah. me and go yeah. to my yeah. death at that point. Like, Bonus difficulty yeah. came when I needed to replace the cans for my phone gun, but eventually I emptied all the cans in the corner and figured if that isn't enough, nothing I can achieve here will be. 
and work my way back towards milkshake. Get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> work my way back towards an area of the ceiling tall enough to get off my belly and cease my cave diver impression. There's nothing here worth dying for. You know. It was at this point when I recovered my heart <laughs> hat and looked back around. By Smith and Wesson. Yeah. It was at this point when I recovered my heart hat and looked back around to try and start working my way back to the entrance point. I realized the ambient light had gone from minimal to zero. Mm. I worked my way deeper yeah, along the length like... of the roof. Oh, shit, get out of the way. Okay, he's gone. <laughs> I worked my way deeper along the length of the roof so I could look at the wall I had come in directly rather than just the angled forest of trusses and came to the inescapable conclusion that I had been walled into the ceiling. For the Fuck. love of God. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, one of the sheet rockers had obviously come through, seen the hole and covered it com and covered it complete with spackle. Right, so sheetrock, very easy to get through ah. when it's going to hit you onto a racquetball court, very difficult when it's going to like get you out yeah. to safety. I shined my it, flashlight it's along weird. Why the sheetrock. Why does the next sentence read, everything <laughs> smells of amontillado here? <laughs> <laughs> I shined my flashlight along the sheetrock, and I had no way of telling where I'd come in, and while the rat's nest of wiring precluded some of the gaps in the framing, they didn't give me enough of a frame of reference to even begin to start. I knew that to kick my way through the sheetrock would be trivially easy, but if I, even if I came through at the right spot, a 10-foot drop awaited me, and if I came through at the wrong spot, the aforementioned 40-foot drop onto steel tools similarly awaited me. My literally paralyzing fear of heights made me, uh, kept me from making any rash decisions, so I began to yell, holler, and scream and shout in the vain hopes that someone could hear me. I had to say, working on a construction crew teaches you words and phrases that would make a sailor blush. And I made full use of my repertoire to express my frustration with myself, my coworkers, the sheet rockers, and the universe in general. Invented a new anti-Mexican slur. Invented yes. racism too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even as I did it, I knew it was in vain, Hope, because as I mentioned before, us on the insulation crew and the Mexican sheet rockers were the only people who stayed on site after four. I also knew my coworker wouldn't hear me because the plan had been that after she did the much easier job of sealing the leaky window, she'd move on to another trouble spot in a different building. <laughs> By the dumb luck that blesses adolescences uh, and allows us to survive into adulthood, not long after I had started my tirade, the site overseer from the firm managing the job site was doing his end-of-day rounds before officially closing the site and happened to hear me. He got a different ladder, since mine had naturally been stolen when the hole was sealed up behind me. He got a reciprocating <laughs> hey, ladder. Yeah, I, get, I get paid for sealing up this hole with this handy ladder. Yeah. <laughs> he, cut a, he got a reciprocating saw and cut a new hole for me to get out of. My understanding is that the sheet rockers get, got read the riot act, and I learned a valuable lesson. Don't go in the hole. I actually met back up with my old boss a few years ago when one of his sons was getting married and, to, and related the story to him then. I had assumed he had heard about it through the grapevine, but apparently he had never heard, so I was able to get a few good laughs from it. Even now, it remains one of my better stories. I hope you got as much enjoyment from it as I did, and keep up the good work. As much enjoyment, not as much terror. Uh, yeah. Please do not do this. Don't go yeah. in a hole. Yeah. In the hall. yeah. 
I know there's, you know, those memes you kids like so much about this is my hole, etc. But don't, don't, <laughs> don't, no, don't actually don't, go don't, in the don't, hole. If you don't see become a, if, the little meme boy. If you, yeah, if, if 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 you see a hole that looks like it was made for you, don't go in it. No, no, someone's trying to you. trick you. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was safety third. Our next episode will be on Chernobyl. Does anyone have any commercials before we go? Yeah, Rob, if the people want more Rob, where can they find you? Uh, if the people want more Rob and uh, the occasional Liam and Ross, though, no Alice yet, but, you know, maybe one day, uh, they can to, yeah. uh, listen to Podcasting is Praxis. Uh, it can be found where good and also bad podcasts can be found everywhere. We're on Patreon. It's the usual deal. Uh, mainly we deal in the uh, exceeding levels of misery that is living in Britain. Um mm. So yeah, it's 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 that kind of deal. But occasionally we watch place. movies and have you know a, be- a better time of it. Um, yeah, and that's about it. That's all I got to plug. It's a good podcast. I enjoy listening to it. It's like Trash Future, but different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like Trash Future, but good. I can I can close sign <laughs> that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't I can't say that we're 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 too yeah we're, we're, we're like too... the supermarket owned brand version of Trash Future. It's a uh, yes, the supermarket things are great, great value. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's the same they make it in the same factory <laughs> um yeah uh i guess all i can say is uh subscribe here, to here's to thing. 900 000 more subscribers that's get right, that's right. Kill your get, friends get, get, get nine kill your people. parents kill your yeah. parents <laughs> well have them subscribe before you kill them and then mm. kill your parents yeah we're, yeah we're doing like tammany hall stuff we're enlisting subscribers <laughs> from the dead yeah go go to the graveyard <laughs> and start subscribing yeah. Um, make nine YouTube accounts. Yes. <laughs> don't you want to make go, this happen? Go to your demented count? aunt's house and grab one of those pre-approved credit cards and just sign her up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's cool. It all comes out of the wash. Yeah, that's right. Rob, thanks so much for coming. Yes, I think thank you podcast. for coming on. I think it was a Thank you so much guess. for having me. Yeah. yeah all right. Bye, everybody. Build the cog railway. Bye, everyone. Yes. Bye. <laughs>